please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. Um, this is the first time we've done the show before like 9 p.m. in like a long ass time. Well, it's after 9 p.m. for me. It's well, always it's after. after it's after 9 p.m. for you, right? But but it's yeah, it's still an hour earlier. Usually recorded 10 to 10 to midnight or something yeah, crazy like that. Yeah. I, I'm usually up pretty darn late, and I still haven't done my taxes. But te- I, I'm just but technically, I'm just telling you, I know I'm going to owe a lot taxes. But but us. technically, we're late, Jim. Technically, we're late because yeah. we were supposed to record last night. Yeah, normally we would record by now. Oh, man. I, I have so much to say. I have a lot. I, I have a lot of new stuff to share, too. Yeah. Not okay. new purchases or anything. I've to talk about. I, I got, do, too. Yeah. Um, my Fillmore came in. Yeah. And that thing yeah, is gorgeous. Uh, I got it in... The uh, I don't even it's either Bronco I forget what they I think it's it's Wine Taurus, um, because they have Bronco as well and it's like a more textured thing. But I wanted the smoother one and it's got uh, the cream grill and matching handles, corners, and uh, piping. It's a nice looking amp. I got to trial by fire it at an open jam the other night, which was oh, yeah. pretty, it was pretty fun actually. Um, and the, and the amp just roared. Um, but, uh, that whole, that whole, uh, open jam, we'll talk about a little bit. Um, it was like a, a, a practical guitarist podcast listener reunion. Um, Paul Pickley, cool. Paul Pickley was there. Mike Merrow was wow. there. Um, oh, nice. Jeff was there in spirit and, uh, actually okay. Nick Bongers came through as well. Oh. So he came in and he dropped off a guitar for Jeff. And he dropped off yep. pickups for me, which means that P90s will be going out to show listeners soon. Um, oh, cool. As soon as I can get them installed, basically. Um, we'll start the contest going probably either this week or maybe next week. And it might possibly get past to the following week. Um, by the time this comes out, though, I think I think we'll be ready to rock and roll pretty quick. Because this, is, this, is, uh, this episode will come out in two weeks from today. Today is 510. So... Um, but that said, um, the the open jam we'll talk about later. I did the gig this weekend though, and that's the one I want to talk about for a minute. So I played acoustic guitar, lead acoustic guitar for four four hours on Saturday morning at nine a.m. to noon, eight a.m. to noon ish, you know, and uh, that was brutal. It was brutal. It was cold. It was cold. It was like forty-five to fifty degrees outdoors. Oh um, no electricity, so all of the emoting was oh, coming yeah. from my fingers. Um, we had uh, actually um, got sitting here. I bought this guy, which is a Behringer <laughs> battery-powered. Here's the battery, battery-powered PA. And I was like, this is going to be a joke. 
This is going to be crappier than a Fender Passport. Um, That thing is like a battery-powered head rush. Like, it's very, very similar in quality to an Alto uh, 8-inch speaker with a tweeter. And uh, it was not ideal. Um, I had no compression or anything like that. But, But to be honest with you, Totally got the job done. I'm a good enough player. I can get away without compression. Um, yep. And we really even I, I would still feel more comfortable with it. But um, things sounded pretty good most of the most of the show. I'm about eighty percent off book with that band. Um, so I was watching the book a little bit, but basically like just kind of cutting through things. We didn't have all our members. Um, so to give you an idea of how this worked, it was me on acoustic. Other uh, Kyle was on acoustic with his acoustic uh, electric rig, and then uh, we had a, a third guy sub in on bass um, for Johnny Tash, who is uh, currently in law school, and um, they're, they're all lawyers. Uh, <laughs> Kyle, the lawyer, uh, Kyle Tash, no, not Kyle. Um, what, what am I saying? Bill Tash, the lawyer, right? Kyle Tash is a legal administrator. Um, Bill Tash is a lawyer sitting behind me is sitting on a cajon with a snare built into the cajon. And he's got a little foot pedal thing that he can, he can hit it like a bass drum. And I mean, we were rocking that place. It was actually pretty fun because we had like such a minimalist rig. And I, I carried my gear like two blocks to this place. Oh yeah. Carried it. Okay. I had wheels on the PA and I put my my piano bench on top of the PA on the top of the PA, you know, bench down, and tried to carry it over there. But I basically ended up just having to claw my hand around the the uh, leg of the thing and holding the handle on the PA, and just manhandled that thing down the street. My hand still hurt from it. Um, and actually, it's funny because when I started playing, they were doing this, like visibly shaking like this, and I'm like, I don't know, I'm even going to play this. This is going to be nuts. It took about 25 minutes for my hands to finally settle down before we could start playing. And then once we did, like, I was okay until the end of it. And I was like, well, I actually looked at the, the piano bench real long and I'm like, maybe I should just leave that here. Like, they're not that expensive. Now, <laughs> now you know why sometimes people will, yeah, um, <laughs> will play with, like, half gloves on. Oh, it wasn't the, the cold. It was just the brutality of carrying all the gear oh, um, that, that long a distance. And like, even, uh, you know, just like dragging a roller cart that gets stuck in the, the cement, like it's stuck yeah. in the cracks between pavement. My hands were taking some abuse from that. In fact, I got a bruise in this, this hand. Um, and it was just funny because like, as I'm carrying this thing over and I'm thinking like, this is going to be really, really gnarly. Like I knew this is going to be an ugly experience physically. And then so like, we got to the first two sets, which got us about two hours in. And I'm like looking at my watch at that point. I'm like, how much more time we got to go please, on this gig? Please, please, and we were on S, so we play alphabetically through our through our set list, which is hilarious. Um, but it actually works pretty well. And and Kyle looks down and he's you know, he says he says we're on M or something. And I'm like, oh crap! Like we still get another, you know, we still get another, you know, probably 120 minutes worth of show. And I'm I just shook my head. Um, but it worked out pretty well, actually. Um, gotta gotta admit, like um, we we walked away with tips. I mean, they didn't pay us anything. So here's the other thing: I get the agreement. Kyle sends us a copy of the rules and regulations that they send everybody who plays one of these uh, farmers markets. 
And I'm right. looking at these rules and regs and I'm like, are you effing kidding me? They have all the language in there that you're like, come on guys. Um, so they're like, you're going to get paid an exposure. Yeah. I talked to you about this, Jim. Oh, it's exposure. Oh it's good exposure. You might get hired for a private, uh, private gig or something. I bet you if you took your pants off, they wouldn't appreciate that exposure. <laughs> I'm in, I, there's invaders during the podcast. Yeah, I see that. I see that. Like, I, it's like they don't realize there's a podcast going on. <laughs> so they're like dancing around and yeah. I, hurry up. Yeah. Take a bottle. <laughs> like I'm giving water. There's plenty of places that you could have gotten water this evening. Uh, so we'll just wait until the podcast. Um, all right. So that was the whole thing. Like I, I remember reading through this, this agreement and I'm like, we're not getting paid. And I have to provide equipment. There's no electricity here. Uh, you know, it's just one thing after another through this process. And I'm like, is this for real? How is this all working? You know? Um, so, you know, uh, we did get paid. There, there was enough tips there to go around, actually. In fact, we miscalculated. I was like, well, they'll cover my gas money and my breakfast. Um, but then, like, a couple hours later, I got a text message saying, I miscounted. We were off by half. You, I owe you, you know, double what you were paid. And uh, wow, so nice. I'm waiting on the I'm waiting on the remainder, but only because I haven't provided my payment details. That's another thing. This band likes to pay with Venmo. Okay. So... This is relevant to any musicians today. If you've not used Venmo, the joy that is Venmo yet. Um, let me explain something to you. If you have a choice between using Venmo and something else, use something else, please. Holy there are a lot of, shit. There are a lot of venues using Venmo, so don't be surprised. I would I would recommend getting a Venmo account. Uh, I, I mean, I mean I, so if you can, so let me explain the nightmare hell I'm going through right now. I got paid from the last gig from Venmo from our band leader, which he's like, we're all doing Venmo now. Like just get a Venmo account. I'm like, all right, that sounds simple. Right. And I knew somebody else who had, a, who set up a Venmo account and they were telling me I'm having tons of problems with Venmo right now. So this is where shit gets real. So I create my Venmo account. I go to link it to my bank account. Yeah. That's that where was a complete pathetic waste of time. Okay. Because but, listen, they use a service called Plaid to link your account to your your Venmo account to your bank account. Plaid is used by pretty much everyone now. Um, like Robinhood uses Plaid, I think, and then like uh, Stash uses Plaid. And all these other banking apps that I have use Plaid to to get access to your account. Um, and here's the problem. Okay, so Plaid uh, on Venmo apparently they will not allow them to use a joint bank account. So if you share this bank account with anyone, you're going to fight to add that account to your Venmo profile. Now, here's the problem. How are you going to get your money out of Venmo if you, yeah, can't, if you can't link your account? Yeah. So basically, yeah. you have a Venmo account with money in it, and you have to get their stupid freaking debit card in order to get paid, which is a whole other thing because you don't get interest on Venmo if the stuff sits in the Venmo account. So... This is just stupid. Like it's it, it's highway robbery is what it is. And it and it's a rule that they have put in place arbitrarily to take your money and to hold yep. on to your money for you because they know yep. there will be abandoned Venmo accounts. It's That's right. It, and here's the other here's the other point that really pisses me off. So you know who owns Venmo? 
PayPal. PayPal owns Venmo, which means you could theoretically have them tied together and get access to your money that way. But they're not going to do that. Okay. I don't think Venmo was originally owned by PayPal. I think PayPal procured them because they were a threat. But they've owned them for over a year, uh, more than a year, I think two years now. And they have made no effort to marry those services together in any way, which means that you're probably just going to be screwed if you use Venmo. Yeah, um, I, I tell people you're going to use PayPal or nothing. Don't try to zelly me. Don't try to do all this other shit. Yeah, I don't mind Zelle as much because I have a Chase account, so that sort of works for me. But like, well, Zelle I would much rather just, just fine pay me via still. Just pay me I, via freaking PayPal or cash or check. I don't need check. my money right away. It's not like I'm broke. Right. Uh, just I mean, yeah, get it to me somehow. I, I I just don't like Venmo. I the truth of the matter is, if it's um. If there's any of them, that's the worst one. Um, and a lot of places are still using it. But there's, it, it's going away. I, I get the feeling it's just going to get shit canned. Certain, well, they've been talking about feature updates and stuff, which is why I'm like, oh, God, don't update it. Kill it. Yeah, don't, yeah whatever you do, <laughs> just, whatever just, you do, don't feed that damn thing. Well, and so this is the biggest problem. So Venmo, like, um, this is why PayPal doesn't want to want to marry the service to theirs because they make money off every single transaction on PayPal. They buy Venmo. There's no there's no transaction fees. I know. That's why they're trying to hold your money hostage because they yeah, have to make their money somehow. <laughs> yeah, and it's called interest. Yeah, they well they've I got mean, your money invested really... until you withdraw it basically. That's right. Like every other that's bank, right. which is why fees are just hilarious to me. Fees my wife and I were talking about this. I believe fees were invented because they wanted to keep runs on the bank from occurring. So right. it would make it less right. likely that you would go and withdraw a bunch of money every day because There's a there's a um scene in The Jerk by Steve Martin where um the help, the guy that that uh um, so they, he hires when he gets rich. That, Gotta see the movie. Yeah, I think I know where you're going. Pretty with funny. This. The the man and the woman that he hires to be his maiden, his um, his uh, man servant, whatever. They they're two elderly people, and you see her out back, and she's tied to a tree, or she's standing next to it, and she's blindfolded, and they've got a firing squad. They shoot her. To, he goes. Um, I'm so sorry about your wife, and he sips his drink, and he goes, Yeah, well. You know what they say about uh, those those um, uh, early withdrawal? Um, you, can, you know, she had to pay a substantial penalty for early withdrawal. Yeah, <laughs> and I was just like, but back then it was a lot funnier because every time that you'd see a commercial for a bank, you'd hear substantial um, penalties for early withdrawal. Um, so that was why, like, I used to have a checking account. And I had to have like a a thousand dollar floor. Oh yeah, yeah. They used to they used like, to require you to keep like a thousand bucks in the account. And, well, then that's not my money. That's right. It's your money. That's exactly right. I believe that's why that's probably no longer a thing. Is because I I suspect the feds got involved in that, and they were like, you can't arbitrarily have people keep money in your account like that. Um, yeah. Because that's basically Which just is saying – a credit union. Yeah. So the banks will get by with what they get by with and they will screw people what? like us who are musicians who are probably not making much off of this ve- venture anyway. Um, right. So in my case, I just oh. – you know, it would have been nice. I could have used that money to buy a pedal or something. Um, so guess what happened to me Saturday? Yeah. What's happened? Oh, I, I sort of know. Oh. 
I Saturday, I was I got a call from a friend to come out and watch play his gig. So I went out and uh he goes, Hey, you wanna play? And uh I was like, uh I look at the guy running the thing and he goes, Yeah, go ahead. So I did a set and um so now we got hired. So we're doing um city events now. We're getting hired for city events. It was right out of that one little uh, step up there and doing twelve songs off the top of my head. Do you remember back um, in October when we did the um the raccoon fest the raccoon birthday party? Where I where I talked about the raccoon birthday party. Um we landed the uh, festival gig for that city. Um actually over the weekend as well. So yeah, see, and that's how that's how that kind of works. You, as much as the, the exposure thing usually doesn't work, festivals usually do work. Well, in, the, in this and case, I don't think we landed a gig because of exposure. I think we landed the gig because we were like, "Hey, we're professional right, enough. We'll come out and do something stupid," you know. Yeah, <laughs> and the right people saw you. Yeah, and the that's park really district people, basically. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Parks and Rec people saw me, and then they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, this guy could come out and do it. Um, so I ordered something. I'm about to send it to you via um, Facebook. This is the first time you see it. Uh, I mean, you know what this is. But. Oh, yeah. No, these are – I've actually been looking at these, too. Is this the one yeah. with the uh, – does this one do IRs? Because there's one that does IRs, and I don't think it's a Fishman product that does that. I don't know which one it is. Yeah, no. The I think you're thinking of the uh, LR bags. Yeah, I think it might, it's the LR. No, no, Fishman has a better one. Oh, it's I'll the higher it end one than this. So but it is super high end. Now I say super high end. I thought about getting it. It's three hundred and eighty bucks. Um, uh. I got a great deal, by the way, calling my friends at Sweetwater. I just want everybody to know. Um, um, always make that call. I will tell you again and again and again. Um, this is the one. I saw this and I was like, because I knew there was a product. Can we that, tell our Can we tell our listeners what we what we're talking about? Oh yeah. So I got a Fishman, um, a Fishman preamp. And it's called the Platinum Pro. Yeah, Platinum Pro and, EQ and DI yep, analog preamp. EQ DI analog preamp. So this with thing does it all for them. With a tuner. Yep. With a built-in tuner. So that's important. I mean, some people don't think it is, obviously. <laughs> when you hear them play, what it is important. What controls do you have on your acoustic, acoustic electric right now? Do you just have like bass and treble or? Yeah, I just have a basic, um, it's literally just a tone knob. It's the lamest freaking. Yeah, uh, so they want you to use, they're expecting you to use a preamp with that. Yeah, Mine yeah, actually has bass and treble on it. Um, so really what I would be looking for is like compression and reverb, not much yeah, else. Yeah, so this has got, yeah, so this is, I'm just going to bring, I'm going to bring my small pedal board. I'll put this on there with my ca Keeley Caverns because this has an effect send and return. Nice, nice. So I'll put my Keeley Caverns in the effect send and return and I'm done. Yeah. And Unless you want to so add a chorus. You do have an yeah, old I boss might. chorus you could throw on there. I do. I have the old. Uh, <laughs> now you're Japanese thinking about it. You're one. like, oh, I got a CE2. Like I could put that but on there. I I could just put my CE2W because to be honest with you, I could lose that. For oh, that's right. You've got both stuff. of them. I forgot that you got a CE2W. I got the Warcraft. Yeah, I've got the Warcraft. Warcraft. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, you whacked all your heads at. <laughs> it's a it's a healer. Uh, yeah, no, oh, I've got God. the, uh, the Warcraft one. <laughs> it's a but healer. But yeah, the other. The other one I thought about getting, and I'm still, it's still on my mind, but I don't know if, you know, 
if I get it anytime soon, but I may get it is the uh, uh, Fishman Aura. Now, the yeah, thing that's about the, the one Aura, with the, that's what the one with the, the modeling, the IRs, that's basically. Right. That's got all the IRs. Is it, lo- so is it loadable? Is it loadable? I mean, it's got USB on it, it, so I think it is. I would think so. It's got, it's at least got some way of doing software. It also has for that USB, it's rechargeable. Yeah, 16 user configurable locations, 128 images for multiple instruments. Um, right. So, yeah, so, got you, so you can get other that, instruments from them. They're doing their own IRs. That's kind of sweet. I would, yep. that, this and would so, be what I would be looking for. This is for folks that are thinking about getting a, uh, uh, what's that guitar? <laughs> the Acoustasonic? Sonic, this is this that is in a pedal. This is it in a pedal, bro, guys. And guess what? You don't have to do. And you can have you an, have an electric do. with a piezo pickup and use this. That's right. And you have all those uh, all those presets that that uh, which call it said he wanted. There they are. Yep. And um, and it Put even says at the here. bottom. <laughs> yep. It even says at the bottom AF. So it is as good as AF. That says it right there. It's good AF. as. Um, never mind. Yep. Um, <laughs> but what I love about this thing, because I watched a guy play just a regular old, I may go get, so the, here's what I might do. So I might, as much as I love my um, my uh, um, Gibson Hummingbird, I might go get uh, um, the, who's it, Godan um, Ace. Yeah, one of their acoustic electrics. Super skinny one. Buy it online and, and, and get it yeah. used. Yeah. And uh, I, re- I played a couple of them, and they're really thin. They're, it was so light, I didn't even know I had a guitar around my neck. That's yeah. how light it was. They're, they're really light. good. Really good. I've, I've played many of them over the years and actually was contemplating buying one at one point. Um <laughs> But the the best value on those is used. You can get them for like six hundred dollars. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Because you can get them for like them. half price. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, well, you could before I'll, the before the COVID. Yeah, before uh, COVID, yeah. yeah that's, uh, <laughs> that's the episode that's yeah. going up tomorrow. By the way. Um, oh boy. I I just um, finished uh, doing all the mix down this evening. So. But yeah, I had I I was I was really tossed between that the um the LR bags version. And um, uh, the Fishman, not the Aura, because I know the Aura does a completely different thing, which would, and that's what I would use it for is that different thing. Um, or the uh, LR Bat, or I mean the Fishman um, Tone EQ, it, it's called the Deck, D-E-Q. Yeah. And the only thing that the, the Deck and this one cost the same. So I called Drake, my uh, uh, rep, and I said, look. I don't get it. I said, this guy is 319. The deck is 319. The two of them have a lot of the same features, but the deck comes with chorus reverb. You know, um, you got you got delay, uh, reverb, and chorus. And I thought, geez, wouldn't wouldn't that be better? And he goes, he goes, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be straight up with you. He goes, if I had a choice between the two, I'd just get the Pro EQ, right? If that's what you're looking at, he goes because you have so much control. If you look at and you know, because you're just looking at that thing, the low cut, the 
the bass, the mid, you've got a notch, you've got the um, the frequency where you can put the mid response. Yeah, I mean it's Treble, got it's brilliant. got a re- it's got basically got a full tone stack that you're going to get a mixer channel. Exactly. So you have a full tone stack in your channel. Plus compression. And you've got your compression and you know and and you got your boost built in. So and you can use it for a bass. And I was like Sure. I'm in. I, I'm I'm done because I could plug my bass into this and use it as my bass preamp. Well, acoustic acoustic bass. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't use an electric bass yeah. through it, but I. And so it's. I I mean I, I think Fishman's got a really sharp line of pro- products. The only company that even comes close is LR Bags, and yeah. LR Bags. Yeah. I was looking at their products, and they're like, they want to do everything modular. Right, they don't want to include everything all in one, and I think sort of the Fishman product is like acoustic players really don't want to buy twenty five pedals; they want to buy one item that does yep. a lot of stuff. And actually, I think the uh, the Spectrum is probably where I would land, only because of the um, the IR loading. But it also has low, mid, high, and compression. Uh, it has a blend yep. control, so you can blend your existing guitar with the the IR. And theoretically, you shouldn't really need the high and low shelf. Um, even the compressor is probably a bit much because. You're going to be basically having all that on, baked into the IR to begin with, because they're running, you know, running it through Neve preamps and everything else to give yeah. you the sound you're looking for. So, I got to be honest with you, that thing is is uh, after having seen a lot of it. Um, that's, that's a, a light that's pretty darn good. Yeah, one point seven pretty pounds, one point four pounds. I mean, that's I know there's nothing to it. Yeah, and that's everything in a box right there. Um, 17 volts so it's going to have a special charger yeah now, it's got the no it's just use usb charging and you use a nine volt if you don't use oh the it's USB nine volt okay so nine volt Standard power nine adapter volt. yes it's got a charge yep. pump in it all right yep and i asked if you can just use like a standard nine volt like you know what we're used to for pedals they go yeah just just as long as you give it the milliamps you're fine yeah well that's so. true um but the, the only thing concern i have is like i've got a pedal that's supposedly it requires 12 volts unregulated, but there's a 9-volt adapter inside, and it'll run on a 9-volt battery. I can tell you it does not sound the same on that 9-volt battery. <laughs> yep. um, so you just got to be so, aware that sometimes they say they have a charge pump, but they really don't. Um, yeah. It's like running it on a dead battery, basically. Um, well, yeah. So the Aura says that it gets like, I can't remember how many hours out of a battery, but it's several hours out of a battery. And I can't believe you've got 128 images you can put on there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I that's, are gonna, that's going to be hefty on a battery. I'm surprised they can even handle that. But yeah. it's probably, they're probably 16 bit images. They're probably not 24 or anything. So to lower yeah. the CPU load when you, when you load it up, I bet, I bet it truncates them. But that's fine as long as they still sound good. And again, this is yep. for live. You're not going to be buying this for a studio. I know some people think yeah. that you should do that for the studio. In the studio, you're just going to grab the real guitar off the wall and play that. Um, so yeah. that is what it is. Well, they'll mic you up and they'll DI you. I mean, and that's what the one thing that, uh, again, Drake told me, he goes, we use this in the studio. The Fishman uh, Platinum, the Pro EQ Platinum. Yeah, some, some, people, some people might use it, that particular product. The Aura, though, I'm saying like, you're no, not going to use no, an R. Yeah, you're going to get the real guy. You'd <laughs> use a real dread. Yeah, you'd take a real dreadnought, a real twelve string. Real. And you can see. I. I don't know if I could say. Yeah, I. I tuned up and I took my twelve string down. It's right here, and um, I strung it up and I cleaned. At first, I took it apart. I cleaned it. I tested the <laughs> electronics. 
made sure they worked, put strings back on. That thing is like fighting. I, I, so, so this thing is old. I mean, this is a this is an early celebrity. Yeah, back when they put celebrity on the thing, and it, it was made in Korea when the celebrities were made in. Well, there's like ni- mid nineties, early nineties. Yeah, so we're talking. This thing's like twenty five years old, um, and uh, it's it's terrible. It's it's the. the so here's how bad the pickup system is. There's no nine volt battery. <laughs> it's, it's got no punch. It's a piece of shit. So it's totally it's passive. Totally passive. Well, those those systems are intended for um, having something like the Fishman DI box. I mean, that's yeah, it's yeah. that that was a thing for a long time where they were doing passives. Um, yeah. They wanted to. So, they, the reason why they went to the actives gym was because people started getting pissed off. Like, you mean I have to, you know, amplify it and have a pedal and like all this extra stuff? I this way I play acoustic, so I don't have to have all that extra crap. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody told me that thing for, was from the eighties. I honestly don't remember when I got it. That's how long ago it was. It's an ovation. Um, an ovation celebrity. It's a celebrity. So it's a celebrity twelve string. Let's see. When did the celebrity twelve strings come about? I know that. Uh, um, I know they're not super super popular now. I mean that I do know. Yep, they are. I don't know why. Yeah, so here's an elite I, celebrity today for four hundred and eighty nine dollars. Yep. Yep. It's, it's because totally. those are the ones that they're the ones with the plastic molded back, right? Yeah. Yep. Plastic. This the, the reason that I had it, and I'll, and I'll be honest with you, this thing's been through hell and back. That's just gonna I mean, say they 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 survived a war, which is why they got popular. It, this one literally survived a war. Okay, I I believe I had this one in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and I had so this was in this went from the muggy uh, <laughs> areas of Virginia. To the deserts of the Indian Ocean and Jihad, or uh, 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 oh, what's the name of the the, the city in uh, um, Saudi Arabia? It starts with a J. Um, but anyway, it's a famous city. Everybody knows it when I if I said it. But um, it's been Riyadh. It's been in Yemen. It's been in uh, you know all over the Indian Ocean. It's been up and down. You know. I've had this thing so long. Like I said, I don't even remember what year I got it. I just remember somebody said, "Hey Jim, I got a I got a beat up crappy acoustic. I'll sell it to you for twenty five bucks or whatever." Yeah, sure. I'll I'm it. I'm just amazed they're still making them, man. Because like, there's only two available right now in Sweetwater. Like, yeah, not in stock, but like listed as products they sell. And yeah. this one guy says, "I've had mine since 1974. I didn't know they were around that long. I thought they started in the late 80s." Yeah. So that, yeah. So it's it's an old old guitar. You can tell when you see it in person. When you got when you come over and you see it in person, you're gonna see all the cracks in the top. And the, but you know what it is? Because I had somebody look at it. He said, "Jim, those are all finished cracks. There is nothing structurally wrong with that guitar at all." Yeah. Well, that's what no. I was gonna say. That I would be really okay. shocked if there was anything wrong with it, bracing wise or anything like that. Nope. Nope. Nothing. Because guitars it, are tanks. It has literally been, it's got paint on it from when I dropped it. I, I, I bumped it against where somebody had wet paint. <laughs> I can guarantee you Jared Dines cannot break an ovation. Yeah, that's not going to happen. 
That's not going to happen. It's it, it. You could knock someone over the head really good with this thing, and it's not going to break. Um, but that's. I mean, that's what it's built for. It's it's a tank. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I know that ovations got popular in the seventies, especially when bands like Heart and uh, folks like that were using them. Even the Eagles at one point. Yeah, the Eagles. I was going to say, uh, didn't um, didn't Petty use one on? One of his videos. Yeah, um, I think he was in a video, but he was not well known for playing them. He was a Martin guy. Yeah, right. And Gretsch. Um, but, he had Gretsch acoustics, too. Yeah. And it might have been Mike. It might have been Mike playing it in the video. But either yeah, way. Possibly. The the fact is that, that they get used a lot. Um, and uh, it, just, it just amazes me uh, how much. But I'm fighting it because I haven't. I haven't touched the truss. I don't even know if it has a truss rod. It. I think it does. I think it does. Yeah. I think, and I think it's down in the in the hole. I was gonna say yeah. It would be, it would be in the, the sound hole on that guitar. Looking at it right now, I'm pretty sure I can see it. It's in the sound hole. And uh, but I had to clean up. Let me tell you, this is how bad it was. I hadn't. I had kept saying I got to change strings. Got to change strings. The, at the Finally, beginning of this show, you had that guitar hanging on the wall with the strings hanging off of it. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I remember. That's the, that's the good spot. I so remember. Finally, I was like, does that thing even play? I finally took it and I cleaned it. This is how bad it was. Uh, see that roll of, oh, you can't see it. It's out of shot. I've got a roll of, uh, of um, paper, you know, the um, that. I was using to clean it, you know, Bounty the quicker picker up picker upper. I used a half a roll of Bounty and just Windexed the shit out of that thing because you can. Yeah, with that guitar, the just Windex the shit out of it. <laughs> no one will I say anything. I just cleaned the the inside of it. I was like, oh, I hope there's no spiders or anything or cockroaches or anything. I I just went through it and it was like. Oh, that's gunk. <laughs> that's gunk. <laughs> <laughs> and then I cleaned up the neck and I used some oil and I used some, uh, you know, um, at first I was going to use guitar polish. And I said, you know. Yeah, it's like, why bother? Nah, I just used some uh, uh, the stuff you buy, pledge, lemon pledge or something. Just did the thing. I did the neck correctly. You know, I used the. The lemon stuff for the well, I shouldn't say the neck. The back of the neck on that thing looks like somebody. It, it, when you see it, you'll see you'll see what I'm talking about. It looks like somebody with talons were playing it. It just it's got all these like dig marks in it. I don't know if it's because I, I never put it in a case. It's never been in a case ever. It banged around when the ship moved. When the ship was rock and roll, it just. Bang, the guitar bang, would slide across the floor. <laughs> yeah, I just tune it up and play it, which is you know, which is no amazing. small feat because it's twelve strings, <laughs> right? It, oh, that's the other part. That's not a lot of fun, but yeah, what I do is I tune the high strings at the one set, and then I just tune everything to those strings, and I go from there. But um, no, it, it it did amaze me that it played because I'm doing a um, I'm doing. Uh, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, okay, and uh, a couple other songs that have like that twelve string. It's a really haunting sound. If you play a twelve string, I mean, you know, you know, David Gilmour on I'm uh, Comfortably Numb. Yeah, everybody knows a twelve string song or two. I like yeah, Life by a, the Drop a, myself, but 
Yeah. I I played um I, I wish I hadn't because it hurt my wrist for like an hour. I played uh what the hell's the name of that Eagles song? Hotel California. <laughs> of course you played that one. <laughs> of course you did. More than that song. I should have used the capo on the some fret trick. <laughs> Regretted that. <clears throat> Let's just say that. So anyway, yeah, that's a that's a great thing. But yeah, I've got the fishman coming. Um, I'm excited about that because I really think that uh, that's going to add to things. And it's finally going to be a piece of gear that I freaking buy in the last God knows how long that I'm going to use for gigs. I mean, even that isn't getting used for gigs. I mean... <laughs> I took it to an open mic. <laughs> that's where that's where that's been. An open mic. And you know what happened? So I take the 335 to an open mic and I'm playing it and I'm I get all like into the song. And so I turn and I was right next to the PA speaker and I <laughs> Did you break it off? No. No. Well, let me tell you something. It's got a it's got a chip. <laughs> I was laying on my bed this afternoon and the way my guitars are situated, they're like, I was laying crossways on my bed and my guitars are on the wall that are on the cross of my bed. And I reached up, I'm like, I'm going to get the shings down. I'm going to play that for a minute. So I reach over and I reach up like this and I grab it and I bring it down and I drop it right on the bed. And I'm just like waiting for the headstock to crack. I just laughed. I was like, I don't even care. No, <laughs> I don't even care. No. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Let's do we, That was something we were going to discuss. Let's talk about good, cheap guitars and good people still mm. shilling them. Let's talk about it. And let's not call anybody out. We're not no, going to call no, no, anybody no. out. We, we, we have our, we have our, our favorites, but um, no. it seems just, like the community is sort of like halfway revolting. Um, because I've seen some things in some Facebook groups where people are like, "Can we stop talking about Fireflies and Harley Bentons and um uh, things like that? Like as though that they're on the same level as other guitars, which is interesting because, um, I think for about a year there, that was like the only thing anybody wanted to talk about, and I think a lot of people yep. probably in twenty and this is. This is a really bad theory. I don't think people actually did this, but um, people, because they were buying expensive guitars for the first time with stimulus money, um, I think they sort of like took a step back and thought about that Firefly that they bought the year before that was sitting next to the square they started out guitar on or whatever. And they were just kind of like, yeah, maybe this wasn't such a good investment. Now, I can tell you, I backslid. I bought my first guitar. It was a Samick. It was a, it was a piece of junk. But I bought yeah. um I bought an Ibanez in the beginner line. I think the guitar was two hundred bucks, two hundred fifty bucks. It wasn't a, it was before the uh, Geo line and all that. But it was um it was a Destroyer knockoff, one of the Millennium Edition Destroyers, and it was so bad. Like the 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 fretboard looked like it was made out of plastic, even though it was rosewood. And uh, the hardware was cheap and cheesy, and the finish was kind of gross, and the pickups were terrible. Um, the nut was made out of like the worst plastic you'd ever seen. And I can remember like playing that and going, yeah, this is the thing. Um, and when you put a nice big set of strings on it, it was actually okay. But like uh, anytime in between that, it was just, it was so cheesy. Um, so I got rid of that guitar, but, but like that was cause I was like, I need another guitar. When I first started playing, I was like, I need more than one, you know? 
And it was really no reason for, I think I'd had my other guitar like three months, maybe. Um, and I didn't get my first real guitar until about a year or two years in. And I got, I got a Fender Strat, but, but that was like my flirtation when I was starting with guitar with cheap guitars. And it set me up for sort of understanding like just because, because a guitar is slightly more expensive than the one you bought doesn't mean it's better. And she like what to look for in cheesy stuff, like bad nut, bad tuners, bad electronics, you know, bad, bad, uh, body work and that kind of stuff. Um, it was not, it, it wasn't so like, as an example of that guitar, it was probably pretty cool. But like as an example of anything that Ivan has made, it was like on the way cheesier side of things. And that said, I had that S series that when we were doing this, that 470 DXQM, those guitars were pretty cheesy too. So um, mine was beyond that, but uh, they just didn't have, you know, the quality parts and hardware and stuff in them that the, the nicer guys did. So I think that's akin to what people are doing now with the Amazon guitars, sawtooth guitars in particular. Um, they're just, you know, like I want a new guitar and these are cheap and I can afford one and then I can fill up my wall with them. That's, that's kind of what I think has been going on. I think that there's a, there's something to be said, um, for that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about one of the things there's, there's a company called Yurt, Yurt. Um, E-Art, I think it's actually E-Art. Um, there's, there's obviously the Fireflies. There's obviously uh, um, a few others. <clears throat> so one of the things, if you look at their website, or the website on Amazon, actually, yep, there's some it. things that are, yep, there are things that are being assumed. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That looks okay. an awful lot like a certain model of guitar from Sweden. Doesn't um, it? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know why it looks like a Strandberg, but it does. Um, yeah. Identically. So you, yeah. So if you look at Eat Guitar, Eert, Eert, Earth without the H, if, if I can say it that way. Um, guitars, for those who, who have never heard of them. Uh, they have some interesting looks. They're inexpensive. If you look at their um, Telecasters and their Stratocasters, they're in the $196 category. All the way up to about um, 300 to 400 on some of their and stuff. And then up to, yep, three 400 which I don't think is terrible. The Telecasters are 300 Oh, my God. Um, but here's, here's one of the things that I don't – I think that people are making assumptions because it's – there's a, there's an advantage that can be taken of miscommunication. Can I say it that way? So, um, when someone says uh, stainless steel, okay, one of the things about stainless steel that you have to remember, and those who have never bought flatware, and those you who and don't I both saw the same is, thing first, so that's really yeah. funny. Go yeah. On. Okay. So you're you're with me on this. Oh yes. So baked maple is not necessarily the same baked maple and stainless steel is not all made the same. So um, a lot of people, they get those guitars and they go, wow, I've got this stuff on my fingers. I wonder where that's coming from. And <laughs> that's probably because it's not actually maple. 
Um, yeah. or, and or they didn't bake it long enough. They might have they might have baked it under pressure to to uh, in a, in a certain pressure environment to ex, um, to make that process faster. Part of the reason why baked maple costs money is because it takes time. Okay, um, it adds additional production time while they actually properly. bake the guitar. But actually, I'm looking through pictures here, and the funny thing is that like the quality stuff isn't what I thought it would be. I figured it would be things like, oh, it's got a roller bridge, and then they don't really roll, which was a thing on the Steinberger Artrim. I got an argument with somebody about that uh, recently. Um, oh, mine rolled. No, they didn't, because the Artrims that were put on the Music Geo Steinbergers do not roll. Um, maybe you got a used one where somebody actually swapped out the saddles, but I highly doubt that. Uh, sounds to me like you're just pretending you owned one. Looking at the necks, I mean... <laughs> So it doesn't have the Endura neck. I don't think. I can't tell from this picture. But this neck looks twisted. And I don't think it is twisted. But it looks twisted. Um, just I think be because on the back, there's two stripes in the back. And they don't look... They don't look straight. like they're supposed to. Yeah, they don't look straight. <clears throat> um, here's the thing that, that I don't want to pick on ear too much. Because ear is probably one of the better of these budget guitars um looking at their stuff and especially those steinbergers um, or strandberg i'm sorry thank you the strandberg looking ones i actually think i, I now i'm no fool i'm not going to get i'm not going to have anybody tell me that they just spent 326.99 and got a guitar that's just as good as a strandberg or strandberg I don't think anybody who buys this is going to tell you it's just as good as a Strandberg either. I think mm, I think I think you'll have some people, but those yeah. are the same people that are shelling them on YouTube kind of deal. Um, that's what I'm talking about. But if you look at the if you look, so the one that got me is you're talking about <clears throat> stainless steel. Yeah. Um, did you read the specs for these guitars? Yeah. So, which one are you looking W1 at? The Explorer or the? I'm looking at the entry or the. Uh, the double shake headless guitar. Um, and I'm just going to read you the spec chart. So this is one yep. of them. It's a carbonized ash body. Carbonized. Yeah. You mean baked. Carbonized. No, carbonized. Two different things. Carbonized. They're, they're naming exactly their process I mean. differently for a reason. That's um, right. Maple veneer. Veneer. Wait. Yep. A veneer of a maple veneer. What yep. the hell does that mean? And that could yep. just be a translation error, but that sounds like it might not actually be a translation error. Um, there's another one here that has a maple veneer of a maple veneer. And if you look at it, it's not maple. The guitar's not made out of maple. They're made out of, oh. they're, they're like burl. Is that maple burl? Because yep. that's different. That's maple with an infection. That's got, it's it has a fungal infection and yep. it's desirable because it's rare. Um Pickups, open double coil. Okay, we all we all know what that means. Fingerboard material, Indian rosewood. That's typical of a guitar this price. Yep. Frets. This is my favorite. 24 fret anti-oxidization. That yeah. is not stainless steel. That is nope. nickel with some sort of other alloy it, added it, to it. Right. Which is probably <clears throat> just nickel from Descar. Okay? Yep. Um, or some other brand like that and then it's available yeah. left-handed no none of them are 
Um, but I just think it's really funny. Like, here's one carbonized African wed- redwood. What? Carbonized. A- you just read that. And carbonized it, African redwood. And it looks like the same as the maple, uh, the, the maple burl. And what makes it really funny is if when you look down the pictures down below, you can tell how bad the book match on the body is, which that's fine. On a guitar this price, I don't expect to get a book matched body at all. Um, so, I mean, the hardware doesn't look horrendous, but you won't know until you strip the screws, um, which is probably inevitable on something of this price, uh, even using the right size screwdrivers. And, um, I mean, that's basically it. And they're like, so the reason why I would never do this is because you can't get replacement parts for this. What are you going to replace it with? Um, and that's clearly a hip shot bridge on it uh, or hip shot alike bridge. Of, yeah. It's not a hip shot yeah. bridge. It's a hip shot alike because the uh, the way the trim arm mounts it is different. The hip shot's all one piece. And then they have the, the set one that's like totally different looking than the other one. But they're not hip shot. They're hip shot knockoff for sure. I, these these things are a mess. I wouldn't buy one of these. These are terrifying. Yeah, and then you've got <clears throat> another one that I'm looking at. This is the uh, this is the Eart uh, Explorer One, by the way. Okay. Um, a veneer, veneer, poplar veneer, veneer. What the hell is that? What does that even mean? I don't know. I don't know. And then African. Now, I <clears throat> I want to get I want to get one thing that that I don't think people understand i've i've take my guitars apart for a reason i look in them for a reason all right and and i don't have guitars that are that are made overseas for the most part i've got two one's made in japan well exception of my my 12 string obviously um one made in japan and one made in uh indonesia and um i think it's indonesia my uh, prs se but anyway so if you look at if you look at the guitar when you when you open it up and you look inside, you can you can see a veneer. The problem is the thickness of a veneer, and this is where it really gets a little scarier with these. When it says veneer veneer, and I don't know because I don't I, I'm I'm only going by what used to be <clears throat> when they really wanted to knock prices down. What they did was it was a photo flame. Yeah. So I have a feeling that's what, what is here is you're getting a photo flame on top of an actual veneer. Yep. That's what I think is going on. Although, if you look in the pictures, you can see texture. So that's mm-hmm. not a photo flame, but it's something like that where they're vacuum very, forming yeah. the top or. Right. That's what I was going to say, where they're vacuum forming it because <clears throat> um that's another way of getting the top, especially to seal fast. Um, when you're using, geez, not even an eighth of an inch, you're using less than the sixteenth of an inch of. of I'm going to send uh, you an image, Jim. Describe what you yeah, see in this image to our, uh, not the the text, but what you see in this image to our listeners, because I yeah. noticed some stuff in this image right away. That's very troubling. And this is a this is a not a customer image. This isn't is a production image from them. Um if you want I could describe it, but and you'll see it when I point it out, I'm sure. So if yeah. you, so if you look at where the 
um, the edge of the guitar, the top meets the the body. You see how rough that is? The, the yeah. rough cut there? And then you can see that the other one is not done by... It, it does not look like it's done by machine. It looks like it's hand done. You can see that it's almost straight in one part. And then there's like a corner where they didn't shape it out well enough. And if you look around where it meets the where it meets the neck on the heel, do you see the little specks where it wasn't finished properly, and the yep. little flaking up by where it like wraps around the neck? Usually, where you would get a finish crack or not finish crack, but a but a pocket crack. There's none of like this. This joint looks like a disaster. Um, it it has not been finished properly for sure. And yeah. if you look along the edge of the fretboard, you can see that the the way the light is catching it, it looks like a line. And I think it's because when they actually filed down the fret edges, they actually chattered into the board. Um, it's, I mean, these are minor issues for playability, but they indicate the level of craftsmanship that went in. They didn't even get like a proper one to take photos of, which is kind of scary to me. Yeah, I think what happened and correct me if I'm wrong, I think what they're doing is there's a lot of stuff that I think there's a there's stuff that would have been done by hand that's being done by a machine. Yeah. Badly. It, it could be. Um, when it comes to the fretboard and the neck. And looking at the frets, because everybody talks about how their frets are smoothed off, like they're rolled fret edges. They're like, oh, look at this. They're all rolled. I don't think they were rolled. Not by a hand. I think it were cut that way. Yeah. And I and I think, and I could be wrong, the machine could be doing that. Um, I think that what's happening is they're actually cutting the fret small on purpose. Mm-hmm. I think so, um, too. And then they're grinding down the board to meet the fret instead of the vice versa. Yeah. Now, if you look at that picture and look look up where the um, like the first, yeah. second, third fret is, you can see these like weird marks in the board uh, where the light's hitting it. Mm-hmm. That's not normal. I don't know what's causing that. That's some sort of machining mark. But if you look at the body in that the blue body in that picture, you can see there are holes where the where the um what the fungus like ate through the the top. So that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like if they're doing this, they got some sort of sophisticated process for how they're punching these holes in these guitars. But I will say yeah. this: those those guitars look fake as shit. Like when you look at those tops, they look like bowling balls. There's no way. That they have that quality of top. And there are definitely pieces of wood out there that can look like that. But they're on four and $5,000 guitars, not $300 guitars. So that's why I'm like, either these are really expensive custom shop pieces that were built somewhere um, that they're using for photographs and that the real guitars don't look like these. Or this is some sort of photographic process. And they look ridiculous. Like, in my opinion, these are these are hilarious. They just don't, they yeah. look absurd. <clears throat> well, again, and, and all right, so I'm a, uh, my son and I go bowling and uh, I see a lot of this stuff and I'm like, how do they make those bowl, those balls look so cool? And they tell me it's, it's a swirl process that right. they use to, you know, so <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised. And the other thing that I wouldn't be surprised of, and of course I'm not over there and I don't, you know, I don't know, but plastic is going a long way. And I don't know if what they're doing is they're finding a way because wood is getting expensive. Yeah. I wonder if this is some sort of plastic top with a swirl and and etching in it. And maybe they're ordering it this way. Like, like maybe it's for furniture and they figured out a way to use it on guitars or something. Right. Right. And I don't know because 
if if um, I can bet you this because I know that there's let's let's face it when you buy a piece of stainless steel or you buy a stainless steel spoon from a dollar store that is not the same one you're getting from Tiffany's okay so I shouldn't say Tiffany's because Tiffany's probably doesn't use stainless steel let's say um, uh, somewhere more expensive I don't know the Kitchen Depot or something um, <clears throat> so. Just to say it's stainless steel does not mean stainless steel means stainless steel. And they make softer stainless steel on purpose. On purpose. There's a lot of use for softer stainless steel because, say, a butter knife. A butter knife is softer stainless steel, believe it or not, than a fork. On purpose. So there are things that that, um, are going in and out of this. I'm a little suspect again, like I said, of the tops. I'm a little suspect of, of what is. Yeah, I see that. Um, well, the one I sent you that actually looks realistic. That looks yeah. correct, yep. right? Which is why I said and I think the can, models are trumped up. I don't think that's really what they look like. Right. And one of the things that I that I do know for a fact is people will get photographs and they get them in. They're like, "Wow, the photos." In the photos, these, especially the pick guards, this is the biggest thing. They're like, wow, in the photos, the pick guards don't look this green. Yeah. And that's the first thing I know that when 60 Cycle Hum did theirs. Yeah, there's an Explorer one right there. Well, the reason why I'm um, showing you that headstock, you can see it's pretty rough. Yeah. That's not a, that's not a well-cut headstock at all. <laughs> no, and, and I'm willing to bet, and I'm not saying that you should beat your guitars around, but I'm willing to bet if you if I don't think these guys will take a licking and keep on taking Jim, Jim, can I ask a question? Yeah, sure. What's interesting about that Explorer headstock in the photo? Look at the photo. What what else is going on in that photo that's out of focus in the background? You mean the guitars in the yeah. background? How many guitars does this guy have? Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That you can see. I can see 10 of them. Remember what I said about the archetype of who's buying these guitars? Yeah. We'll just, we'll just leave that alone. Yeah. Um, That's, that's the proof I need in the pudding. Yeah. I I just, like I said, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with uh, people who want to buy, you know, a good number of guitars. I just, yeah, I mean, honestly, looking at these, I'm kind of like, eh, I wouldn't mind having one just to just to no, beat a, just to beat around. I mean, yeah, I mean, um, but I'm not, but I'm not like so. I have to be sensible about my purchases. Like, I'm about to spend a bunch of money to buy a an equipment cart. So for me, it's like right. I I'm actually really excited about that. By the way, um, which is like the masochist inside of me, right? Um, <laughs> you know, but. Uh, I'm just like I'm just looking at stuff like this, and it just I'm glad you brought this up again this episode because it was in the episode I just edited in. Um, the more I think about it, like the more that this kind of drives it home. This is here's a guitar company that's promising to deliver something that's just not going to happen at this price point. It's no. just not going to happen at this price point. And, no, and, and the and the problem I've got is this that there's a lot, a lot. YouTube is full of it. And I think the reason that YouTube is full of the videos for this is because there are so many people willing to watch videos that give them 
Everybody um, wants to dream call- about what they can afford as being yeah, as what do good we call as. That? Right. That personal validation. What do they call that? Um, uh, confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Where, where people are getting a huge amount of confirmation bias as a result of seeing these things. And they're saying, wow, look at that. You know, I, I could really use to see or, or buy that. And crap, I mean. Then I won't um, need a Strandberg. Right. Um, right. Which, which you don't need a Strandberg you anyway. You don't need a Strandberg. And so don't make a big deal. Out. Just get it. But you don't need to get four of them. Um, I, ha- and- I definitely had um, – I've had a couple of revelatory moments in the last couple of years. And I've been on this crusade, you know, for a new guitar for a long time. Um, and I've been asking myself lately, like, what do I even need a new guitar for? I mean, my S500 gets the job done. I have a backup, um, which sounds similar. It's not yeah. the same guitar. Uh, if something happened to that one, I would probably replace it. But, like, do I need a, a humbucker-equipped guitar right now? And the answer is No. Do I want one? The answer Hell is yeah. yes. Do, no. do, do I want one? Hell yeah, I want one. But I, there are yeah. other things that are more important that I actually do need that are equipment yeah. related, mm-hmm. um, like freaking carts to move gear on and like, battery like powered PA so I can get tips. Like that's right, and and the new um, uh, Wampler pedal that just came out. Uh, the, you're talking about the uh, the Ratsbane? Call the Bell. Oh, I thought they just released one called a bell or something. Somebody they probably sent did. Me a picture. I ain't worried about it. I, um, I don't know. Somebody sent me a picture. I looked at it. I, I, I have like, two pedals. Oh, I have two pedals on my mind. I will be completely blunt and honest with their listenership. I am looking for a rat right now. Send me your recommendations. Yep. Um, I went and I played the Warhol. I, I, you know what? I'm not buying Ratsbane, and there's a reason for it. Why the hell did they not put that in the full size enclosure? I know, I know. That's the oh, that's the one thing about it that pisses me off. Oh god, oh, Wampler, you know, it's, a, it's a finger enclosure, and everybody mini. wants finger enclosures because they need to reclaim their board space. I'm here to tell you, you're not reclaiming anything. You're not reclaiming it. Your, your, your no. pedal, your your input jacks stick out just as much, and they're offset, which means it's harder to arrange pedals to the right and the left of it. You're not you know saving what? anything. You know what else didn't? You know what else didn't get any smaller? Your fucking foot. well that's i mean that's just it right like so yeah i can cram all these goddamn pedals on my board and then buy a 500 hundred dollar switcher so i can actually turn them on and off exactly what exactly you gotta buy a freaking switcher you gotta you gotta be you know and that's the thing about the the um the cork sniffer side of things is those guys from that pedal show yeah um, yeah i mean so much they have popularized the idea that you have to have a switcher and they have popularized – they are literally um, the the us of the pedal world because they're the cork stickers of the pedal world. <laughs> well, you know what? So, like, I don't actually – like, they are cork sniffers. Let's let's be real. And I think they would tell you they're oh, cork they sniffers. Are. I would think they would tell yeah, you they're yeah, cork they sniffers, They too. don't make any – yeah, they don't make any bones about it. But, we're not, like – We're not saying anything that that's negative. I mean – not in my mind because, I mean, like, let's be real. Like, Jim no. and I both have our, our fancy shit that we, you know, like – um, like I've got my amps and Jim's got his guitars and I don't, I don't um, have anything fancy. Yeah. Well, what are you talking about? Did you just, <laughs> did you get another one? No, I'm kidding. Well, that's the same <laughs> I'm, one. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> I think you should start borrowing people's Les Pauls for the show just to mess with I got, people. <laughs> I, I, you know, so as you can see, there's like those Les Pauls and then there's that one. Uh, 
I was, you know, I'm getting ready to do my taxes, and I'm like, well, oh, yeah, you're like, you're like, shit. <laughs> like, oh, shit, should I sell one? Because um, I, 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 you know, li- literally, if, make payments, if the taxes be fine. come up the way I think, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to care because I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell a guitar to please the man. You know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, no, you'll just do more gigs. Somehow, I. I I want everybody to know I am not a stat. I am so anti-establishment, and yet that's who I work for. So it's weird. I'm, I'm a weird paradox. <laughs> Jim, Jim definitely but, has moments where he's like, "You can't say this because I'll get me in trouble." Yeah, I, literally. <laughs> I mean, so, somebody said, "Why did you get the? Uh, why did you get the shot?" Because because you want to keep my job. Sort of forced um, to. So, well, kinda, I think that's true. Hey, hey, man. that's true. Of people in the private sector too, man, though. Because because right. there there is a raging debate right now of whether your employer can tell you that is that is a requirement for your employment, and uh, I suspect it might actually go to the employers on that one. Um, so there's a lot of people out there that are getting vaccines for that. Now this this, said, is, a, this, this said, is a tough one. This said, you know what? I don't get like I've had so many people tell me it's an experimental vaccine, whatever. Listen, you don't know the history behind this. This has been around for 10 plus years. They have been testing these vaccines with markers. In other words, not vaccinating people, but but injecting it and finding out if it's if they can read the marker out of, on your DNA. They know it works. They know it doesn't kill yep. people. They know it doesn't cause right. long-term health effects at least greater than 10 years. So, right. you know, just a little over 10 years, I mean. So, who cares? Just go get the damn exactly. vaccine. What's the damn problem? Like, uh, it's not killing people. Yeah. Um, no, even the, even no, the, yeah. the other one, um, the, I mean, oh, yeah, you're talking yeah. about 0. 0. 000, 000. you'd be more likely to die from coronavirus, like 10 times more likely to die from coronavirus than to get the one that's giving people heart issues. Yep. Like, are you serious? What are you worried about? Exactly. exactly. But you know, like I said, I, I, I am looking, you know, I'm looking to my future and you've got to, you, that's what you've got to do. You've got to look to your future. Um, but, uh. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so, so, you know, when it comes to guitars, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I've got three guitars. I don't, two guitars I don't need on top of one guitar that I would, that I really like having, but I, but I'm going to tell you this. So today I pulled the Strat out for the first time in a long time. It's actually not hanging on the wall. That's actually sitting on a stand. You're, you are a Strat guy. There's no question about that. You are a Strat guy. I, I tried like hell to get a tone I liked out of it. I was now I got to be honest with you. There was two things going against it, so it's not like I had it on my mini board, which sucks. My mini board sucks ass, and um, I had it going into the front end of the twin reverb, and I, I just it felt so weak and and tinny to me. And no matter what I did, I you know I jacked it back to the the what do you call it? Pick up like I had to take my blues driver and just like crank the freaking cane. I was like, give me something out of this thing. Give me some meat and bones out of this thing. And that's that's me. That that says a lot to me though. And it doesn't say a lot about the guitar. I and I want people to understand what I'm trying to say is that I'm not saying it's a bad guitar. I'm saying I'm not coaxing the sounds out of it. I should be. That's I, a big, big point that people need to hear sometimes. Yeah. Um. So here's the funny part. 
I'm a, I'll, I'll break this down in a couple of ways. So I started out, I was not a strat guy. When I first started buying strats, it was because they were cheap. And um, mm-hmm. I could buy, you know, a professional level guitar for 400 bucks. Um, oh, yeah. and, and I could go out and I could, you know, do my little high school band and stuff. And um, and it worked out really well. The guitar was solid. I didn't have to hold, I spent a lot of money on repairs and that kind of thing. So um, it worked out, right? And then I I always knew like, oh, yeah, all the bands I was listening to back then were playing Dumble Humbucker guitars, right? So I'm or, – or an HSS. So I was always lusting after like the Super Strat or a Les Paul. And I actually ha- – I bought an Epiphone Les Paul from a pawn shop um, that was kind of cool. And I played that for a couple of years off and on. And I had um, I had a Godin SDXT, which was a Humbucker single single. Was it? Or was it a Humbucker single hum? I don't remember. I think it was a hum single hum. Um, and those guitars were, were okay. Um, what was weird was I found myself on the hum single single guitars playing the neck pickup a lot. And then, um, so that was like, what, how do I, how do I reconcile that? And then I started playing a Strat again and gravitating towards that neck pickup. I actually swapped my bridge pickup on my Strat for a, for a stacked, uh, humbucker at one point, actually twice that pickup broke. And then I got another one. And then it was like, at that point I was kind of like, okay, there's something to this. And so I actually, um, when I got my S500, um, that was the first guitar where I was like, I'm just going to keep the stock single coils. I'm not going to screw around with it or anything. And they're MFDs. So I sort of knew going in, like, those pickups were going to be different. And they were bigger and meatier. But they're still Strat pickups. Like, if you plug them in to a, you know, and you do it right, and you manipulate the tone controls, you can get it to sound like a Strat. Um, but But the strange part about it is, that that was kind of like my roads back to being able to play single coil guitars. And it's only been in the last year where I've been able to step back and be like, it's not really a thin sound. People think it's a thin sound because they, because when they come over from a Les Paul or an SG, you want to use the bridge pickup for everything. You're not going to use that bridge pickup much. The neck pickup is the moneymaker. You want to you want to get some fatter tones out of it? Use the neck pickup. If you're concerned about output level, drive it. You have to cha- you have to change the way you play, and you have to change your amp settings, and you have to change your pedal settings. Things will not work the same way. They don't because you're driving it with a lower signal. But what you find out is, after you do it long enough, if you quit if you quit your Les Pauls cold turkey and you play a Strat for three months and you play with that neck pickup, and you get your whole rig dialed in to work with it, you go back to a Les Paul, you're like, where's the fucking clarity? Like, that, that the, honestly, I, when I pick up a Les Paul or an SG or any of that, that's, that's my first one. I was like, holy shit, where's I, my trouble? <laughs> yep, so I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a real, a true story. So in 2000, um, late 2000, I saw a 2000 Les, or a, uh, uh, 2000, um, Strat hanging on the wall it was an American standard, standard pickup, standard everything, and it was five hundred bucks used. And I grabbed it. I said five hundred dollars. I can get a professional guitar. Yeah, but you modded the crap out of that thing, Jim. Dollars. That was later. So I I 
grabbed it. I picked it up. Now, I had been playing a jazz box. I was playing an old Samick um, big hollow body jazz box. And again, I was used to that big, bold sound. And I said, nope, I'm going to play a Strat. And I went Strat. And I played the Strat. So every time I bought a Les Paul, I returned it because just what you were just saying about when you have a Strat and then you get a Les Paul. I was like, I, I, I bought, and, and I wish I would have kept it. I bought one of those um, Swamp Ash uh, Les Paul studios that was just Swamp Ash. If you look up Swamp Ash Les Paul studio, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, beautiful guitar. They go for a, a lot more money now. <laughs> I got it for $600 brand new. They couldn't give those things away. They were like, come on, get over here and buy one. And I was like, 600 bucks for a Les Paul? Yeah, sure. Had the Burst Bucker Pros in it. it great guitar. Um, but I was, I was so used to having that clarity and that fine tooth. I was like, I can't dial out that stuff that I can give to my Strat. And at the time for the Strat, I was pushing it with a um, MXR, uh, the double shot. Does right. that sound right? Yeah. It, it, I had the double shot and I had a dime bag, uh, the two, two one. Um, and I had a, a 10 band EQ. Those were my pedals, my, my primary pedals. Um, so you could see, I just wanted to, I just pushed it. And so, no matter what I did, I never felt like the the Les Paul gave me um, the clarity I wanted. And so I went through a lot of – I went through SG. I went through Les Paul. I bought another SG. I bought an Angus Young signature SG. I was like, come on. That's got to be the one. I spent like $1,800. Yeah, $1, I remember you complaining about SGs. You had like multiple and you didn't like any of them. None of them. It seems like you got like an SG Supreme or something right before the show started. And then like, yeah, you sold it before uh, the remember? show actually started. Yeah. Yeah. Or you took it back. Um, I don't remember which. I, I returned that one and I bought a um, Pelham blue one, which actually I liked. So that, that was, yeah, that's one that you're, that's the kick in the nuts guitar right there. Yeah. That was a kick in the nuts guitar. That was the, that was during my, um, would you sell that to get a PRSCE again or, uh, yeah, something SE like that. or something. I don't even, like, don't even. I saw you sell some guitars where I was like, "What were you thinking?" That's when sadness. I'll tell you guys. <laughs> sometimes when you're selling all your stuff, and I and I want to be serious here for just a second. I know that, and and David is laughing because he he did go through it with me. Um, I went through a period of depression where I thought that to wipe all my things out would wipe me out. And I could erase me through erasing things. So sometimes when you're thinking to yourself, that guitar I always loved, or that car I always loved, or those golf clubs I always loved, whatever it is, and you think to yourself, geez, maybe I should, maybe I should change them out. Think about whether or not you're really trying to change those out or you're trying to change something else I, I have seen people try to ditch all their possessions because they're in depression countless times and generally it's either the scenario you're describing or it's like if i get rid of all my things i'll be invisible and then people yeah. and then people won't worry about me anymore and it's like yeah. i i i watched you go through it i didn't know what was going on jim 
uh, to be completely honest and to com- honest to our listeners, like I was talking to Jim about some of this stuff and being like, why did you sell this or why did you do that? And and some of that probably happened on the show too. And it's like, yeah, I, I could see what was going on and I'm like, this is messed up. And I didn't necessarily understand it. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and be totally honest with everybody. I was this close to eating a bullet. So for those of you who think that, that, you know, sometimes you see someone and you think to yourself, oh, they're doing fine. You know, no, not always. And we're not always doing fine. And it, and um, it was, believe it or not, there were a lot of times, and you don't know you did this because I don't think you were conscious of it, but there were a lot of times when you and a couple other friends of mine would reach out to me. And uh, in some of the deepest, darkest, uh, times that I had. If you think I didn't know what was going on, you're crazy. <laughs> no, I knew uh, what was going needed, on. Yeah, I needed that. I needed people to say positive things, even just to talk to me, just to say, hey, Jim, what's up? Sometimes you, know? you just need somebody to like realize that they actually care about your existence, even yeah. if it's for you to be, you know, a thorn in their side sometimes or whatever. Like that's, you know, unfortunately that's why we exist. I mean, is to interact with others. So, um, yeah. And we, we need that, um, in our lives. It's a virtual hug and I, and it, uh, you know, you could take it for what do you want to take it for folks, but sometimes you need that. I need to, uh, need I need to take a break for just a second, Jim. I'm going to actually sure. pause the recording. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. We're back. Uh, we were having technical difficulties. OBS was, uh, spitting at me. So we're, we're good now though. Um, nice to know that it actually rescued us that time. Usually when that happens, like we're totally screwed. <laughs> it, just, it just shuts all over us. I was kind of panicking. I was like, did we just lose all the episode again? Like, you know, kind of thing. But no, that didn't happen. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, um, uh, so anyway, yeah, I think, one of the things that I'm going through right now, um, uh, musically, is uh, you know I've found that I I really love playing these things, you know, these, yeah. these humbuckers, and I, and I found that I'm a humbucker. Now, does that mean I'm going to get rid of my strat? No effing way, because the minute I get rid of it, you know what I'm going to want? A strat. a strat. Yeah. <laughs> but here's but here's the so you're having a musical renaissance, and you're starting to realize like you gravitate towards certain th- gravitate towards certain things. Everybody does. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I honestly, like people always say, oh, there's like, you know, you're either a Beatles person or you're a Doors person or you're, you know, you're a priester maiden kind of thing. Um, I think there are people that are humbucker people and there are people that are single, single coil people. And there are people that definitely straddle the line, but I will say that I think that like most people fall into one category or the other. They prefer one or the other. And they build a rig around it. I mean, I don't know a lot of guys that run strats and less balls in the same rig without at least setting changes, maybe different pedals that they use for different guitars, like on the same board even. Um, I think it's hard. Like if I get my Shengze out, which has less Paul pickups, that has a very less Paul sound to it, right? Even though it's a Shengze. If I get those that guitar out, nothing I have that I use with my my strats works right. I have to adjust a lot of stuff. And I know I know how to get around it, but it's I I could see you coming up against that problem and being like, "What a damn nightmare!" Like they don't even play the same, and like you know, of course the hot pickup thing. 
That's eh, a bit of a misnomer. It's more you're what you're reacting to is the rounder mids. Um, the bouncier rounder mids, but, um, I, I mean, I, I've been in that boat. I've gone back and forth over the years. Like I, in fact, actually with this part of the reason why I liked my Kiesel so much, which I still own. Um, I guess we can probably talk about that later in the episode too. Um, but the reason why I kept the Kiesel is because it's got, well, not because I kept it, but like the reason why I liked it so much is the, the pickups are very bright. They're like single coils, except that they're hum canceling. And they're loud as shit. Okay. Um, which is funny because you'd never think that like metal players would be into big fat, like lots of treble machines, but that's, that's what these pickups are designed for. They're designed to be bright and over the top. Um, all right, let's switch gears for a second. So we've been talking about gear a lot in this episode. I had one more new thing to share. Uh, and I think I briefly mentioned the beginning, did the open jam. Uh, the other night and it was like a reunion. So I have to give an honorable mention to Mike and, and um, uh, Paul Pickley for coming out. Mike Mara, Paul Pickley, um, of course, Nick Bonners uh, and Jeff Biasadecki for being there in spirit and Colin from good time. He's one of the, um, he's one of the, he's a bass instructor for good time music. He was there. He was actually, he actually had heads the booking up for the place. Um, and it was, it was, all right, so this was the craziest open jam I've ever seen. This is why I have to start talking. Because, like, I've been to a couple now, and um, I've been to a lot of open mics. And never have I gone into a place where um, they had a... Uh, they played two songs, which Nick was a part of this band, with 11 member, No, 13 members, I think, on stage. 13 people on stage. Let me explain how this happened. So, when I walked in at 7 o'clock, um, they were going to have featured band. That was Mike Mara's band. They were going to play um, three or four tunes and uh, have some guests and stuff. And when I walked in, um, it was like 730. Host was still playing. Two bands got up. I was in one of the bands. Um, I was asked to get up and play with them. And uh, was it? I think I was in the second group of people, maybe third. Um, and so at this point, it's already like 830. And then the feature band gets up and they're done by 915-ish. Um, which I was supposed to, I was supposed to sit in on a song, but I didn't because they knew that if they added me in addition to the host, because the host played keys on it, that if they added me in addition to the host, the song was going to go like 15 minutes. So it was like, nah, this is probably not such a good idea. And it was, I was cool with that. Um, I was kind of, I, I, I'd hoped I was going to get to play again, but it ended up happening. So the band after them was like, let's get as many people up here as possible because we have to finish out this night by 11 o'clock. So that's how you ended up with 13 people. We had a full horn section. Um, I mean, when I say full, we had a trumpet player, uh, two saxophone players. Um, I'll just go through the whole band rest. We had a trumpet player, two saxophone players, a cellist, um, keyboard player, a bass player, um, drummer, obviously, uh, three guitarists. <laughs> And now, and I think, uh, one of the guitarists was also a vocalist and, uh, I, th- I know I met, Oh, we had a uh, steel drum. Um, what else? There's something else I'm missing. Uh, cause there, cause there was like, I counted the amount of people. I was like, Holy hell. Uh, and it was just pure chaos. So they start playing and, uh, I thought they were going to play. Can you hear me knocking by the uh, Rolling Stones? But it, it, for a little bit of trivia, does anybody know what chord progression that shares or that that uh, song shares chords with? 
Uh, it, it shares chords with, um, what's the Grateful Dead tune? Um, I forget the name of it offhand. Now I'm going to have to look. Got me because I do not know. It's, um, oh, God damn it. It's uh, Fire on the Mountain, I think is the name of it. Oh, okay. Right? It's the, sa- it's the same chords. And when you hear somebody play it the first time, you're like, you're just waiting for that. And then you realize, no, it's Fire on the Mountain. Um, <laughs> it's like, and and um, the whole band is playing the song and everybody gets a solo, you know, and it's like not a four bar solo. It's like, you know, 24 measures or something. There's a guy in the back who's got a Les Paul recording and he's plugged into a solid state fender red knob amp, like a 25 water from, oh, we know it was an M80. So it's an 80 watt solid state red knob amp from like the 80s. And it was, that thing had to be dimed. And so, so Nick was playing through my Fillmore and uh, the other guy was playing through the 66 uh, Super Reverb that was there. And we're... We're all just sitting there and listening to this. And like the guy in the back who's playing through the red knob is just pissed. He's so angry. No one can hear him. So, so angry. No one can hear him. And he's like basically flipping off the host. Who's the sound guy also um, and screaming and doing this at places in the song because he can't hear himself. And of course, I'm sitting there. Now, I'm not sure everybody else I was sitting with knew this, but but I knew this. They didn't mic up anything. So I knew what the problem was. This guy's got a way underpowered amp for playing with 13 people, and he's pissed because he can't hear himself and nobody can hear him. Well, get pissed, dude. You showed up to, yep. a, you know, you showed up to a to a, a gunfight with a knife. Knife, yep. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you think was going to happen? Uh, and the guy yep. who actually owned the amp played in a in one of the other bands and he his basically his amp was just sitting there and he'd lent it to him but it was like i don't even think he used his amp i think he plugged into the super reverb so right it was just you know you go to these things and you're like oh thank god i'm prepared because i had to walk a quarter of a block i mean i had to cross a busy street <laughs> and stuff to get there um, yep. and carry my Fillmore, which is kind of a pain in the ass. It's a 40 pound amp. It's 38 pounds or something. Um, and I didn't have a cart. I didn't bring my pedal board. I just had my guitar, the Fillmore, my looper, just in case. I didn't know if I was going to have to be playing tracks. And then I brought, yep. um, I had my King of Tone in my bag too. And that was all I brought. And, uh, honestly didn't plug any of the other gear in except for the Fillmore. And then I just, it, it was great all night Had no complaints about that, but I'm so glad I brought an amp because if I'd showed up to that and not had an amp, what would I have played through? Cause chances are, I was going to get stuck on the stage with somebody else. And I'll also say this, the Fillmore cut pretty good next to that 66 super reverb, which that was pretty impressive for a modern amp to be able to handle, you know, like one of those holy grail uh sounds you know um and it it it, it held its own i mean i wish i would had the master up a little bit more but it was i'm told that, that it was audible from the audience a little bit harder for me to hear it because it was aimed at my ankles but um yeah I, i'm going back it's gonna it's gonna be fun that place is wild there was a lot of people there too um so if you're in the chicago area and you're looking for a place to do an open jam uh the one at pollyanna is great Lots and lots of people. Really fun show. 
and and friendly people, uh, except for the guy that got like super pissed off. <laughs> like, what? I've never seen anybody get that irritated. But I think he was just mad because like I showed up to this open jam and now I'm going to have to play by, you know, with this group of like 11 people or 13 people that showed up. And I think what happens that the horn section and the band with the cello and stuff, they played in this other group. And I think they're part of a music school. And I think it, it, and it's probably an adult music school, like adult music education as well. So they go out and they do this to promote the school or whatever. And like it just sucked because it was like, now we have to make amends for this whole group of people. And chances are, you're only going to be able to play songs with like really simple progressions that they may not know. And, you know, that whole thing, they were all really good. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend like they weren't good at what they were doing, but it was just, um, you end up in situations where people are going to be frustrated because they don't really get their feature in a, in a jam like that. Now, granted, I have a different attitude about music. So when I go into that situation, I'm like, this isn't about me. You know, this is about making quality music. And so even um, you can ask Mike about about my uh, performance here because I think he was the only one that actually saw me play um, where I was playing subdued. He asked me, he said, you got you had some really tasty stuff there. And I and I looked at him and I said, I said, yeah, I didn't get to go balls to the wall tonight. And I, meaning like, I usually don't play that tasty because I have to, you know, because I want to just go for it. You know, um, it was kind of funny because he's like, well, you know, but, but it fit. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, cause like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not what I wanted to do though. <laughs> I wanted to melt some faces. Yeah, that's what I was, I was wanting to get up there and like, you know, play some crazy stuff and two handed tapping and, you know, all these yep. odd time signatures and polyrhythms and stuff. Um, Anyway, yeah, he's probably laughing because he's like he's like that that asshole don't know anything about music theory, and he's probably right. Um, he's he's on the side uh, giving me kind of not I wouldn't call him theory lessons, but like theory like slaps in the face. <laughs> it's like you fucking idiot. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, I am. It, it, I really admit, really admit it. Uh, but um. Yeah, I should have paid attention in college. That would have been good. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, Open, I, open Jam, Pollyanna. Um, I'm getting back in the circuit. That's that's the goal here. I'm vaccinated, yeah. and the, it's apparently effective against variants. So, until I've been told otherwise, I am going to be playing my ass off for a while. And Twitch, yeah. like, so I feel guilty because I haven't been on Twitch in, like, a week doing this stuff. And I'm getting back on that, too. Um, yeah. But it's just... Speed bump, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I got to get a schedule going and until I can iron out exactly what my open mic things are going to look like. I can't really do that. So anyway, that's my yep. self-promotion I, moment. So I had uh, I've been um, uh, out doing my thing. Um, and uh, matter of fact, I got invited to another open mic this week. Um, and, uh, so I've been doing a Wednesday open mic. So Tuesday I have rehearsals. So tomorrow night I'll go to rehearsal and Wednesday night I've got, um, open mic. And then the same band is going to host another open mic. Well, they've asked me not only just to play guitar with people, but if they need a bass player, can you play bass too? <laughs> you know, can you go? Yeah. Just, forth? you know, can so you just bring, bring like, like three times as much equipment? Yeah, so 
Um, for this week's music, I'm just going to bring, I'll bring a Strat, I think. I'm, I, I think I'm going to bring Strat. As much as I was just complaining about it. Um, it covers a ton Strat. of ground. And because uh, I've got some stuff that's kind of acoustic-ish. And I'm just going to play the Strat to make it brighter and prettier. And I'm going to bring the, the bass. Um, Your aerodyne. We'll see what happens. Yeah, um, aerodyne. So when you do when you do a um, when you do a set like that, do you take an amp or what are you what are you playing through when you're there? Yeah, uh, so I take I take the where is it right there? I take the uh, Fender um, uh, Blues Junior or I take the uh, Twin. I think either of those amps would be exceptional for like a Strat amp, especially in those yep. kind of situations. We watch that guy play with the M80. And uh, I think he was plugged into the Super Reverb, but he could have very well been plugged into the M80 because he was playing really clean. And it really fits vocally a lot of people because nobody yep. has that super high chime thing going on that's in their vocal range. Where I've heard people yep. who kind of, you know, Les Paul like stomps on him a little bit. Where So if you're going to play electric and sing, like I could see definitely see a Strat being like preferable for a lot of people um, to Les Paul or any other really yeah. humbucker quick guitar, I suppose. And I'll be singing. Um, uh, so I'll give you the list of songs I'm going to be doing. Let me, let me pull that up. So I know that uh, wildfire is one of them. Um, so I'll be doing uh, wildfire by Michael Martin Murphy. Year of the cat by Al Stewart. Okay. Smoking in the boys room by Brownsville station. Should I stay or should I go? Which is a great strat tune, believe Aren't you gonna do some Molly Crew? And old time rock and roll. Well, we could do Smoke in the Boys Room by Motley Crew, but we're not <laughs> I wanna do what I wanna do is have them learn the guitar part so I can sing. I wanna do um Oh, what's the what's the one um uh Doctor Feelgood? But I oh, cannot yeah. play the guitar part to Doctor Feelgood and <laughs> sing it. I can play the bass, but I cannot play the guitar part. And sing that. Uh, are you saying that it's a little difficult? Yeah, are you saying it's a little difficult? I mean, you saying that they needed really... Vince Neil to do that? I mean, can we talk about Vince <laughs> Neil? Can we talk about Vince Neil for a minute? We've we we don't even know. <laughs> we've hated on um, we've hated on David Lee Roth enough on this show. Like just generally, I mean, I don't hate him. I I actually think he's incredibly talented. But I like um, I like David. But but we laugh because David's like his live performance capabilities are like nil, and I don't know whether they were ever good, but they're not good they now for sure. Oh yeah, um, no, they were. I saw them in their heyday. Um, I saw him with Van Halen twice, three times. I saw him during Van Halen two. It was Van Halen 1 or Van Halen 2. Um, I know you saw been, him on the solo tour with the Eat Him and Smile tour. I saw tour. him on the solo tour, and I saw him uh, on the 1984 tour. I also saw them on the OU812 and For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, Yeah, those two tours, which were incredible. Sammy Hagar delivers phenomenally. Yeah, I don't have anything negative to say about him either. I just uh, yeah. was more or less pointing out that Vince Neil – can't sing anymore. He sounds horrible. Um, I was watching a, a guy. There's a guy in Germany. I, I uh, watch his, his uh, guitar 
uh, streams on on Twitch uh, pretty regularly. He, he streams probably three or four times a week. Um, and he's got like the stupid simple Twitch rig. And like, I, I really envy him because it's like dirt simple. He can literally just plug in and go. Whereas I have like an hour of prep work putting my equipment up so I can just so I can do it. Um, anyway, he, he does his like, uh, I'm having a moment because I'm like, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I could make this so I could do this really quick. Anyway, um, he does his little like uh, at the end of his stream. Sometimes he'll do like, let's watch some YouTube videos together. And then he'll pull up like, oh, here's a Guns N' Roses video. One day he played because I haven't like listened to Vince Neil. I'm not a big Motley Crue fan in general, but like I definitely have not listened to Motley Crue touring before the big retirement bash thing that they did. Holy shit. Vince Neil let himself go. And I'm not just talking about his body, but like his ability to sing is horrible. It's just okay. collapsed. All right. So I have not seen Vince Neil since the was it St. Angels, St. Angelellas, whatever. <laughs> so that was their final tour. Yeah. Okay, so, um, and that's because Mick Mars couldn't do it anymore. It was, yeah, there basically, was no right. As it was, first of all, I I think Mick Mars is great. I, I really do. I think he's fantastic. And to see him suffer the way he did, and I could see it even in the state. You know, I was only eighth row. Well, let, let's row, be let's be real for a minute though. Mick Mars is Motley Crue. Um, yeah, and he really well. Mick Mars and and uh, uh, Nikki Six because. Yeah, but, say but, but I think like, about Nikki Six as far as musically, but <laughs> songwriting wise, Nikki Six wrote that. Yeah, shit. but I'm just saying, like, and, you couldn't have had the live performances if you hadn't had Mick Mars. Oh, he was the only professional yeah. in that band, like yeah. real professional, where it was like, we're going to go out and we're going to do it this way, and this is the way it's going to be every single night. Whereas the rest of them yeah. would have just been mired in drugs and drinking yeah, and fast and cars drinking, yeah. and all kinds of nonsense. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, Tommy was Tommy was phenomenal. So during the final, I, I've saw I've seen them like three or four times, and when I saw them the first time, it was during the, um, it was during the one I don't remember for some reason. Now my brain can be making this up, by the way, because there's an effect. What is the effect where you remember things wrong, but it's because it seems like it should be? Is right. it the Mandela this, effect? That's it. The Mandela. My daughter just did that to me the other day. She goes, Dad, does. Does this word have a dash in it or not? And I mean, like, does Kit Kat have a dash in it? You know, that type of thing. And so anyway, um, so I could be remembering it wrong. But so Kiss, Motley Crue, and and uh, Poison were on tour around the same time. And I want to say either Kiss and Motley Crue or Kiss and Poison were touring together during the the um, that first Motley Crue record. And Poison had uh, who let the – who what the cat drug in or something? Yeah, who yeah. Let the cat drug in or something like that. Um, and then there was Motley Crue had. Um, uh, I used to call it. She's got boots that smell. And then. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, you were talking about Saints of Los Angeles being their last tour. No, that was not their last tour because they toured in 2015. Okay that's, okay, that's the tour I saw them on the last. Uh, tour yeah, I saw right, them. right. And that was what 2007, 2008, 2006? 2010. That it okay, lasted to 2010. Yeah. Um, I saw him in, in uh, whatever date Saratoga Performing Arts Center, Saratoga, New York was. Yeah. Um, that's the date I saw him, which, so, which could have been 2008 or 2009 or 2000. Makes I a difference. No, 
no concept of it's time. It's not. For it's that. not like uh, uh, Vince Neil was amazingly better back then. I mean, yeah, yeah. no, no, he was not. Um, but Tommy was on the top of his game. He did the the spinning cage, and he was drumming, and and he had a thing uh, that's not politically correct enough for me to say on the show. Uh, but let's just say that uh, he, he was Tommy Lee being Tommy Lee. Yeah, he was Tommy Lee, and and it was great, and it was a great show. But anyway, <clears throat> to watch Vince stand on the sideline, pretty much, and just strum because he couldn't, or not Vince, I'm sorry, um, Mick. It, it was really painful to watch him, and I think so. It was probably towards the end of the tour. Um, they had, I want to say, Five Finger Edge Punch and a couple other bands. I give a shit about. I could get, I could have given a shit. Yeah, about. right, right. They literally had, you know what the first opening act was? I kid you not. The first opening act was a group of kids. This is the time frame, folks. A group of kids were playing Guitar Hero to open the show. And so they had kids on drums because Guitar Hero had a drums, a bass, guitar. And anyway, it was awful and horrendous. And it was funny because the the sound went out. So it was right out of that South park when it went. <laughs> so here's the best part, right? So I looked up uh, Mick Mars's details. I, I knew he was up there. Cause, cause he was like in his forties when Motley Crue hit it. Yeah. He is 70 years old this year. Yep. He was born yep. in 1951, which means yeah. he's only a couple years shy of my dad. The only guys, yeah, the only, the rest of the band are close to my age. They're in their late 50s. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Nikki Six, for example, is 62. Yeah. Um, Vince Neil is 60. And for those of you who don't yep. know, the difference between 60 and 70 is massive. <laughs> is, is another world. When they, yeah, when they started, I was in my 20s, um, and he was in his 30s. Um, so... Uh, that uh, that's why I'm saying that that uh, as a matter of fact he was probably close yeah he was in his mid mid to late 30s at that point but um, anyway I uh, you know I loved seeing them uh, but Vince could never sing if anybody said that Vince ever sang he just his voice is naturally it's because that they way. were really good on the record at making him get the performance out like Home Sweet that's Home right. you really think. Vince Neil could pull off Home Sweet Home live and make it sound if good. You, if you listen to Home Sweet Home, okay, this, this is coming from a vocalist, okay? If you listen to Home Sweet Home on the recording, you can tell that's him layered on top of a real vocalist. There's somebody really singing that song underneath that. There, And they've got, there's a whole two or three part harmony under him. Of real vocalists singing that real part, he sounds like this. He said, "So I'm I'm seeing them at you know." He comes out first time I saw them, I was like, "How the hell does he do?" Because he's like, you know, blah 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 blah. Feel good, you know, and his voice is really like nasal and high, right? Yeah, it always was. Because you know, I heard, "Hey, boots smell," you know, and um, and then I heard him talking. To the crowd, he was like, "Yeah, I want to thank everybody coming out." I was like, "Oh, you, I get it. It's because he always sounds like that." That's just well, when you see when you see him. Like, what was funny about the video that we were watching in that Twitch stream was like, 
you li- it, it, the video was like Motley Crue lyrics the way they actually sound and they had subtitled yeah. it and it was like yeah. oh my god I, I I'll never yeah. unhear that song again. So hilarious! Uh, I was just so- like, how did they and like? He sounded like he was saying the things they said he was saying, and it wasn't because of the effect where you read it and it like immediately no, thinks yeah. says no. It, it literally sounded that way. You could shut the the thing off and and hear different versions of the song if you wanted to. Yeah, and it's yeah. just because his voice is totally blown out out of out, out of age. Um, oh, it was and never po- and poor singing technique. You know, he just basically yeah. ruined his ability to sing over the years. So, yeah. um, it was a home sweet home. I think is the one that was on. Um, their uh, home sweet home like it was a single they released because they couldn't yeah. get they couldn't get their shit together to record a record so they did home sweet home that was after smoking in the boys room which i think was also a single yeah um, and that's a cover right and then they finally Three did another chords. record and and they did a record in 19 <sighs> i'm trying to remember i think it was like 90s it was like 87 was the next record um that came out Wait, that was these that were was all released when, uh, on something. I'm just looking at singles for some reason because I remember. Yeah, no. So this was all on. Um, no, this didn't all come out of there. No, 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 no. I'm yeah, looking this at was actually wrong. pretty tragic time. I mean, I'm not trying to. I don't want to sit and take Vince Neil's side on anything or or not take his side. Vince Neil went some through some shit. I mean. Yes, some of it was his own doing. Getting drunk and driving a hundred and something miles an hour with who was the the, the singer from? Okay, uh, Home Sweet Home was on Theater of Pain. That's what I was trying to think of, and that came out in eighty five. Right. right. Um, but there was a period where they like so they kind of got criticized because they didn't put out a new record every year. Because in the eighties, that was the thing. Like you did a record every year, and they started doing the every two year cycle. Um, yeah. and it was like. I don't know what that was about. I think they were using a year to party in between, quite frankly. Um, yeah. Which they did that documentary that's on Netflix recently. And it's funny because then the, then the band comment and say like, well, that's basically what it was like. Um, <laughs> you know, like, um, well, which is. Yeah. It's a very politically incorrect documentary. Let me just put it to you that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't want to watch it uh, with the kids. No, no, no. Especially not that first scene. <laughs> Holy and if all. you have a light heart, don't don't <laughs> yeah. watch it all. Yeah. But, um, it, it, you know, and the guy who played uh, Bolton in uh, um, Game of Thrones, he plays um, Mick Mars, um, which was kind of an unlikely choice for an actor. But anyway, actually, I thought um, he was great at it. But yeah, it um, was an unlikely choice. Yeah. yeah. I uh, uh, anyway, he got into an accident with the lead singer of some band. Go Tokyo or something. Yeah, yeah. Like his yeah. best friend. It was, you know. Yeah. And because uh, they were drunk him, and they he, went to go buy more booze. Or did he kill him? I can't remember. I think he killed and, him. Um, and then he had to live with that. And then his kid, didn't his kid die? Um, like, yeah, I don't his, know about his that. Child, his child died young. Um, possibly. That's all in that documentary. I, I'll tell you, it's kind of a rockumentary. More it's of a not documentary. A, no, it's 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 a it's not a documentary. It's like no. glamorized account of right. it. But um, it, you can tell that they were trying to get more on the realistic side of what it's like to be in, like a a rock and roll star in the eighties. And yeah. what better band to look at than Motley Crue because they embodied it more than any of their contemporaries. They were the they bad did. guy band. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. compared to like 
Poison was like like nothing compared to you know because Poison was like what they said that Poison was the chick band was what what everybody said but like yeah even Rat or Dokken those bands had nothing on Motley Crue and their debauchery and and behavior it's amazing to me that all four members of Motley Crue are still alive um given some of the shit they were involved in um yep. so that's you know. If you didn't know, like Motley Crue was heavy into drugs. Nikki Six was on a lot of heroin. Um, he wrote a he wrote a, a book about it. Um, yeah, and uh, they had a, a tumultuous career, and then of course Tommy Lee had his stint with heroin and other drugs, and eventually got clean. Not before making a real mess of his personal life by marrying Pamela Anderson and then having a sex tape le- leaked. Um, which became the first viral video on the internet of all time. Um, he actually probably is the most successful outside of that band, though, which is kind of funny. Like, he went off and did a solo career in the late 90s and sold a lot of records, uh, playing guitar and singing, apparently, which is like... Who's that? Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee, yeah. yeah. It was weird. Um, Nikki Six did Six AM, and he actually yeah, had a bit of a, but I don't think Six AM was nearly as big as as Tommy Lee's solo project was. And then you had um, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, I don't remember the, Mick Mars the, doing anything though. That's and Vince no, Neil definitely Mars, didn't. No, no, Vince Neil did the thing, but Nikki Six also did the um, uh, the photography. He had some weird yeah, photography yeah. that was. It was borderline pornographic. Well, they were at the they were at that point though, where like, where what else do you do? I mean, Guns N' Roses is the only other band that I think that reached that point, and it caused the disintegration of the band because they had like, they had the three biggest like post hair metal hits, you know, record wise, back to back, and then they were sitting there like, how do we top this? And then they recorded the spaghetti incident, which was like their version of of Garage Inc. And it was like, it's not a bad record, um, but it's not what people wanted. And I think that's actually why that band disintegrated. I don't think it had anything to do with the infighting that was going on. I think it was because I don't think Slash wanted to make that record. I don't think Axel wanted to make that record. I think they were both sitting there thinking, what the hell do we do next? And neither of them had a cohesive musical direction. And I think Axel was like, well, we need to go down more of a grunge path because that's where music is going. And Slash is going, that's not rock and roll. We're not going to do that. We don't want to get into alternative and electronica and all that stuff, which you can hear all those influences coming out on Chinese democracy, um, which a lot of those songs were written back then. So it's like, it's, it just became a disaster. So like instead of that happening with Motley Crue, they went off and did these art projects, wrote books. You know, did all these other things. I ne- I never even like growing up. I ne- it never registered with me that Motley Crue was like quote unquote broken up. Do you know what I mean? It was just they weren't active. They weren't doing anything. Yeah, yeah. I never saw them as as really broke up. Um, yeah. So I was right. Vince Neil's daughter died at four years old. Yeah, that's what it was. Right. I mean, she's not his only child, but oh, here's Vince Neil's side project. In 2006, he owned it. He opened his own tattoo parlor called Vince Neil Inc. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly sorry, don't. Ha- I have zero problem with. You know, a lot of people would look at me. He's fat now. I have zero problem with a weight problem. He just like can't sing anymore, and I don't no. think that has anything to do with his weight. I think it just has to do with like 
he really probably couldn't sing to begin with, and he probably blew out his voice when he was young. Well, you know, a, a lot of those rockers, you look at, uh, um, you know, uh, Brian Johnson, um, he blew out his voice real early. Yeah. Anybody that's, you know, the ACDC That's why there was so much talking out, in ACDC. The, yeah, the, the stuff that came out after, to be honest with you, the last real good album by ACDC is my opinion. Um, you could pick a, you could cherry pick a song or two afterwards was for those about to rock. That was it. That was the end of it. Because after that, his Brian Johnson's voice was blown and it was, and it was kind of not really his fault, but more the fault of them allowing um, uh, the producer, um, Mutt Lang to push him to sing these higher and higher notes in the in the studio, and then the expectation because um, the band wasn't into tuning down. They no. don't change or do anything different, and so uh, any other band would have said, "Okay, let's tune down a full step, or even a step and a half, or some of that shit." You imagine trying to do "You Shook Me All Night Long" every freaking night for two years. And then go back in the studio and record, uh, you know, the, the stuff that we've had the those other, about to rock the and other, then tour. The other problem is his voice. So, like, Bon Scott was unique, okay? And yeah. he was emulating Bon Scott. And I don't think that's actually his real singing voice. And I think that's part of the reason why it got damaged was because yeah. he was singing higher than he should be. And, yeah. it, like you said, I think Mutt Lang probably pushed them to, like, be the best sound that they could have been. And yep. that required him to go beyond the physical ability of what he should have been doing without a coach. He, yep. If he'd had a, if he'd had a real vocal coach or an opera coach there, it probably would have been handled differently because he would have learned things about how to physically handle it. But their lifestyle yep. wasn't going to allow that either. I mean, these guys yep. drank a lot and alcohol is the enemy for your voice. Yeah. Well, um, you so, that's why I'm like, I, I always looked at Bon Scott and I went, why didn't his voice blow out? But it was because he, and I think he had a little bit of that. He did a lot of talking in his, in his stuff. That's why I was talking about earlier. Like, um, but I think he did that to rest it because I think he yep. knew like if he did that all night long, he was going to eventually lose his ability to sing. And I didn't realize he was that young when he died. He was only, he was only 33. I know. So. Yeah. You it's know, pretty wild. As a, as a 50-something-year-old, and I look at my kids, I was just a kid, <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's younger than I, than um, I am now. Yeah. I mean, that's it, it It was a sad thing. It was a sad day for a lot of us, as, you know, as huge fans. Um, you know, you look at the singers that kept their voice. Um, for the most part, um, the guy, uh, Brad Delp from Boston, kept his voice right up to the point that he committed suicide. Um, you know, uh, it's surprising, you know, until relatively recently, uh, what's his name from Aerosmith? Um, not Joe Perry, Steve Tyler from Aerosmith. He, he was able to belt that crap out. You know, I mean, I'm not saying he was, he was perfect night after night, but damn, he could do a great job. Um, the, the woman from heart Ann Wilson, she does it night after night, still belting out those songs. And when asked about it, cause they don't tune down. 
And when asked about it, um, she said, we picked those keys on purpose. She goes, I if this, any song that I would sing might be a hit. And if I had to sing it night after night after night, was I going to be able to hit those notes night after night after night? I mean, she's lost a little bit of that high end, but for God's sake, she's in her late 60s, early 70s. You know, she's got to be in her mid mid to late 60s um, and still able to do it. Uh, you know who else? Amazing. I just heard him sing again recently, and I was like, you are shitting me that he can still do it. Robert Plant. Yeah, no, he, he oh hasn't lost anything because he basically lives a clean clean lifestyle. I mean, he's yeah. he's completely changed person and doesn't really indulge himself anymore. I don't even think he drinks. Um, I don't think so either. And he he started that a long time ago, and yeah. he is like of all of the people from seventies rock. If you want to talk about somebody who has artistic integrity, like he's probably it. They ain't many others. Jeff Beck yep. falls in that group, but they've yep. worked together, right? But yep. like yep. Robert Plant still has it. If, he, if you call him up, he's like, "Yeah, I'm getting old. I feel like we should do another Led Zeppelin thing." I don't think he would have any problem doing it. Yep. <laughs> he would just be like, "All right, show up to the gig and get it done." Um, I think if any band could pull that off, it would be Led Zeppelin because yeah. Jimmy Page. You know that he has his health is pretty good, is pretty good too. But that's because he was sacrificing all the. Uh, all the stuff when he yeah <laughs> he's gonna live to be like 140 um, because of all the debauchery and stuff that he's participated in as a part of Alistair Crawley's teachings. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm going if to you hell. Look at, yeah, same here. Um, if you look at uh, um, uh, those guys, that that's a band that could just pull it together. Um, well, you know, you except know, uh, for except for uh, John Bonham, you know, he's he's kind of dead. So, wow, yeah, he's <laughs> but, but Jason's always around, you know. Um, you know who else uh, lived a clean living and and uh, did it? Uh, uh, they were Peter uh, Frampton. He turned it around. Yeah, but but let's be clear: when Led Zeppelin was in the seventies and eighties, they were not clean in any way. They, they made <laughs> Motley Crue go. All right, we got to try to one up these guys. Yeah, I, mean, I think they they were like the blueprint for like Motley Crue to be like, that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah, so let's let's not let's not act like those guys were clean back then. No, but they definitely and, they, and by clean we also mean like their behavior towards other people, specifically women. Um, yeah, and yeah. I I definitely see that like today's bands don't behave those ways. In general, in general, I don't. There's still your yeah. Ryan Adams out there, but like for the most part, it's it's a different environment. I don't think people. I think Kurt Cobain was really the last one of the last members of a generation that required drugs in order to make their art. And yeah. when I say required drugs, I mean like to function. And there are other people right. in that generation, obviously, that did as well. But like, it's not as common anymore to like have people that, that rely on drugs as a part of their like living strategy in music. Um, I think we still definitely have people that are using Peruvian marching powder and that kind of thing. But I, I think that that's largely out of, out of fashion. Well, you know what that, you know what that's a reference to, right? Like was because, because they, they would have to tour all the time. And like, it was so strenuous that they did cocaine to stay awake and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they called it Peruvian um, marching powder, which is hilarious yeah, to me. I mean, but ugh. I just find it. Yeah, I just find that hilarious. That's the first time I ever heard it. They called that. So there you go. 
I'm yeah, that was uh, that was from Peter Grant's book, which is the um, he's the guy that uh, was uh, Led Zeppelin's manager, and he talked about same thing as as um, uh, Black Sabbath when they would tour. They actually had someone that would travel on a plane, uh, commercial jet to where they were at, carrying a briefcase filled with cocaine, um, and it was separate from the band. Yeah, I was I was rereading parts of this. Yeah, because we were having and, a, a conversation about a, a photograph that surfaced on uh, Wampler's yeah, page. Yeah, and I never said it was fake. I said it was suspect. Is it, yeah, it's definitely suspect, that, but I, but yeah, I, I didn't say it was fake. I, I didn't think, think it was fake. Yeah, I, I think I that, real. I think the um, the scholars on that one will be debating for a while because. So here's the deal: David Bowie's in a picture with Stevie Ray Vaughan, and it, we think it yeah. was from 1989. And of it course, was, it, it was. It, it was likely from 1989 because that was a to a certain tour. Yeah, it was Terry Bozio with. and Jeff Beck were also in the picture. Yeah, and they're and they're and Bonnie Raitt and and Bonnie yep. Raitt actually did a couple was, dates with them on that tour. Um, yep. So it's more than likely the case, but it was weird. It be- all made sense. It was weird because Bowie yeah. was there, and everybody's kind of like him and Bowie were on speaking terms. And yeah. then, like, I kind of pointed out because I I read an, an interview with somebody who was allegedly close to Bowie at some point and basically said like, no, we don't want to work together ever again, but we have an understanding and we've come to terms with what happened and like, we're both cool with it now. And I, I, the conversation was like framed, like, well, maybe he called me as part of his 12 steps program. Kind of like, that's the way I, the way I read it was like calling to make amends for maybe his behavior. Um, when they were working together, because that would have been probably at the height of Stevie Ray's drug problems. And then by 1989, yeah. I think he was clean. So yeah, well, that's, uh, that's what I was about to say. So I was about to talk about that part, but um, somewhere I had read that Bowie went to his grave re- um, regretting uh, the fact that he and uh, Stevie Ray never really um, buried the hatchet. He but anyway. never really commented on it. Like g- people would ask him the question, and he would just yeah, he, kind of brush it off, like that's not something we need to talk about. And I think yeah. it was more or less like, I think when Stevie Ray was alive, I think it was kind of like, well, let Stevie Ray tell that story. But yeah. then well, after Stevie Ray dies, it's like, you know what? Out of respect, I'm just not going to say anything. You know yeah, what I mean? And I, like and I have a. Yep, I have a real life friend who was close friends with Bowie, and um, they talked about um, different things. But anyway, so um, uh, in here, it, it's this is a great book, by the way. If you guys ever take a get in it, it's called Texas Flood. It's written by Alan Paul and Andy Alador, um, two people who have who knew a lot. And it's and it's in if you read it, it's actually just a bunch of quotes from. Uh, interviews so it's not like alan and and uh andy are just making shit i'm, up. I'm go- well um, it's it's accounts of from people that yep. that saw things but but what you got to remember right. is just like with any narrative narrative um, right. it, things can be can mandela still, affected to the till you're blue in the face right. and and right. one of the first things you learn as an english major is narratology which is this idea that like the narrator can be lying um yep. and in journalism, like that's a huge thing that like yep. you still report it as though it's fact because you have no way of knowing otherwise, but it has to do but with your sourcing and um, what just I something was, to keep in mind. Yeah. 
I, that's why I, I take all those biographies with a pinch of salt. I don't care who writes them. So I'm going to read this. This is a little quote from it. Um, this is Hodges. It was this uh, like stage manager or something. Manager, man, stage manager, something. Tour manager, maybe. Um, the things we did to keep Stevie clean were going to happen regardless, but it was easier to have at least three people in the program. We just didn't have need to have booze around. And here's what it, it, that Peruvian marching powers what reminded me of this. And regardless of what they might call themselves, we didn't need people whose first or second jobs were selling drugs. They could be called local crew, the photographer you see at every show, or the guy you didn't know what he does, but he keeps popping up. All those people went away. You're not always sure where the danger lurks, but when we weren't buying, the whole scene changed. So that that was part of one of the things. And Bonnie Raitt was talking earlier about it. He was probably the most fierce of the bluesmen I've ever heard. He had a furnace in his heart and was the epitome. She was going through the same thing at the time, by the way. Yeah. She and was the epitome of all the dark and sexy, brooding and passionate. Um, the most, all that is dark and sexy and brooding and passionate. The most um, extreme emotions of the blues and of life um, in every breath he took. And to find out that he could maintain this while sober was such a revelation. If anything, he was covering more emotions. He was playing as, his, as if his life depended on it and he needed it. And it is so sad to find out it, this is only a year and a half before he passed away. Yeah. That he was clean. And it's now, just. Let, let, let's talk for a minute. I want to start a campaign and I'm hoping that um, maybe some show listeners will start this process up for me. But um, there was a tour, uh, the Fire and the Fury tour with Jeff Beck and Steve Ray Vaughan. They flipped a coin every night um, yep. to see who would go on stage first. And then yep. they would go out and they would play That's and then it. they would do, they would jam out some tunes in the end and they would always usually end with like, um, uh, it's going down or something like that. Um, yeah. Freddie King. Um, and that tour, there are recordings of it. Not, not audio recordings, video recordings of it. And for whatever reason, there is a rights debacle and it has never been released. That needs to end this needs to be available to people. Uh, and I would prefer to see it available to people before Jeff Beck goes. Um, Cause you know, when that happens, somebody's going to be like, you know what? Let's bury the hatchet. We got a lot of money to make here. Um, yeah. But the reality is like, we need to see him in his prime. Like we need to see when he's at his best. There are some other video recorded performances like the, the second Montreux jazz festival um, where he's uh, totally sober and kicking ass. Um, and I think the second Austin City Limits performance, he's also totally sober and kicking ass. Yep, they talk um, about that in here. And like Elmo Combo, he's he's still you can tell he's on drugs. Like he's sweating and real bad. And like, um, but the Elmo Combo is the one that I first saw, and I like I would that changed my life because um, I'd never seen anybody that had been like that so good at guitar and so good at their craft, not just guitar, but like song. The, the the um song arranging and just like that passionate about what they were doing that they could do that and emote that way that it, it literally changed my life it made me want to play guitar that much more and i think i have that on dvd or something yeah that's how i got yeah, it awesome. first yes. and like the tone on that man like you want to chase a strat tone get the old combo and chase that um <laughs> good luck 
but uh, hats off to you, but good luck. <laughs> like, yep. um, if you find it, let me know. Cause, uh, cause I'd be interested, but, um, God, what an amazing player, man. What an amazing yeah. player. Um, and, and you know, people for, I am so, yeah. I'm going to, I'm so sick and tired of this generation for acting like he was not something special. My generation and of people after me act like that guy wasn't something special. It was you seriously shut up. No one cares. No, the rest of the world doesn't care. You go to Japan, you talk to people, they're going to know who he is. Like what, what are you on? You're going to try and tell me that like Ryan Adams is better that, you know, was better than Stevie Ray Vaughan or somebody, some contemporary guy like that. What kind of crack are you smoking? Um, I don't even think somebody like Joe Bonamas as good as he is. Which, by the way, he's much better than people give him credit for, too. Watch some of the footage when before he was wearing suits. Uh, that was what I was telling people the other day. He was much better when he wasn't wearing suits. <laughs> um, now, watch some of the footage from, like, the early days. And then watch... Um, he has a jam band that he does once in a while. Uh, Rock Candy Funk Party. Yep. Watch that. And then you'll realize how damn good he actually is. And just understand... I don't think Joe Bonamassa would ever say like Stevie Ray Vaughan wasn't as good as he was cracked up to be. Eric Johnson Wait, wouldn't when, say Stevie Ray Vaughan wasn't as good as he was cracked up to be. I guarantee you that they were good friends. Let me, let me tell you something. Uh, I, I saw an interview with Bonamassa and he talked about the change to the suits and the, um, and the uh, glasses. And there's an actual good reason that he went to the suits and the glasses. So, um, I, I, I'm a, just saying, like when, it, when that happened, Hall of when that happened, it was almost like, um, he lost some of the fury and lost some of the rock side and went way more blues, which isn't necessarily yep. a bad thing. Like I got a lot, a lot of blues cats right. I like, but yep. it was just like he was doing the Led Zeppelin thing before, and then all of a sudden he goes over to the blue side, and yeah. it's like it, it coincided with when he changed outfits. It was. It was. It was kind but of weird. Was also, yeah, there was some other stuff that, that had to happen. But, but that said, you know, he doesn't do the suit still when he does the the um, jam. And he doesn't do this because that's what he wants to portray is he's like, all right, now I'm a blues guy. And I'm, that's the blues. Yeah. And I want it to be the blues. And when I'm the rock guy. And what's the band? He, it, it was... Uh, he did with the guy. Uh, with Black the Country from, Communion. Black Country Communion. That that's the Led Zeppelin band. <laughs> that's the stuff to check out. So um, before we go, I just wanted to show you this. This I, I had to pull this out Yeah, because uh, I was doing a song from this, and it was really, you know. You, you know took a minute sad? when you looked at it, is that Iomi's yeah. still around. Iomi had cancer yeah. and lived twice. Yeah, this is... This is extremely sad, um, and this is uh, from uh, 2010. Oh. And look at how good he looked. Yeah, yeah. Worth worth mentioning. Uh, Black Country Communion is going to have another record too. Yeah. So they're yeah, not done. They're not done. They're not done. They're saying 20, 2022. Um, well, yeah. they were done because like their schedules weren't coinciding, and I guess. Uh, um, Glenn Hughes was like, oh, yeah, I, I need, I need it. I need something to do. You know, I can't yeah. wait on you. And, uh, yep. Which 
you know, those records sold really well. So it's like, Glenn, just take your money and shut up. You know, <laughs> like a couple of years from now, it'll be a thing again. Um, I might actually get tickets to go see that. Yeah, if they I definitely that. will. If they come out this way, I'll be definitely out to see it. But yeah. I've I've had my hate moments with with Bonamassa and his playing and stuff, but I think he just um, I don't know. I I always felt he was like kind of pretentious about it, and and now I was like I I don't feel that way at all. I think it's just my exposure to some of the other stuff coming through and like knowing what his early career was like. I don't I don't yep. feel pretent- pretentious about it at all, and I think it's it's sort of tongue in cheek with him anyway. Because he's like, I can't believe people actually, you know, like think that this that's is good. exactly what he says. He says, I can't believe people keep coming out. Yeah, yeah. What he does goes, he say? They keep coming out to see see an old guy play uh play a really overplay against blues really changes. Old, old, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> really old songs. He goes, they keep coming out to see this kid play, you know, these really old songs. And he's like, oh, I'll keep doing it as long as people keep keep doing it. And you know, and uh, I'll say this before we we end. One thing you can say about Badamasa is he shares. Um, he's been giving to musicians. He's been doing a lot of stuff for musicians. He just uh, he just donated. Um, well, Maybe he can donate really... me a fifty nine. I'd be I'd be okay with that. <clears throat> yeah, he he just um, I guess you put it on semi permanent loan. He put a fifty two <laughs> a fifty two Les Paul in the musicians Hall of Fame um, for uh, for that. He he really cares about. Uh, the thing, if you watch live from Nerdville, um, and you you catch some of those, it, he's got an he's an interesting cat for to say the least. And he definitely he has a way of he, he's like me. He's a typical New Yorker. I mean, let's let's face it, that's the thing. Um, and being from New York, I kind of get it. Uh, he he's a kid at heart, right? He and remembers he never has to grow up. He remembers what it's like seeing the poster of the Ferrari on the wall. Now he owns them. Instead That's of a right. Ferrari and for him, it was Les Pauls, you know. I, I listened to him talk about that first guitar, that first nice guitar he got. And so his dad went out and bought him a Strat, which was two weeks of the entire household income. Oh, no, he was rich. He was rich, Jim. Oh, yeah, Haven't you heard that story? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, because no. they owned a music store. They must have been rich, right? What yeah, the fuck no. Are people on? <laughs> yeah, obviously they've never owned a music store. Um, he was poor, and and uh, his dad bought him that guitar, and he said, "Hide it from your mom." And he said he had to hide that for months. And they asked him in the interview, "How'd you play it?" And he said, "I had to hide it underneath my bed, and I knew what time my mom would get home from work, so I would rush home from school and I would play guitar." Until like, you know, a couple minutes and I'd hear the car coming up the driveway and I hit it. And finally, one day dad said, just play it. I guess she found out or he told her. And, and the beauty of that is how people can relate. He played the cheap guitars. He did the whole thing and he, and he strived to do better and do better. Fortunately, they did actually come into money later and they did have a, a pretty successful music store, but like. Those early years are pretty rough for him. <laughs> he tells some yeah. stories that are like, really? Um, and it hit just him like having relationships with like BB King and later yep. um uh Danny Gatton and yep. people like that. It's just wild because you know, they just happened to happen because of his association with his dad. Um yep. it, 
I, hey, then, we can't all get of, that lucky. You know what I mean? Like, no. And the story of writing a letter to Eric Clapton, asking him to come play a song at the, um, you know, at the uh, Royal Opera Hall. Mm-hmm. I mean, he said he said that that really launched him. I mean, yeah. there's so many things in his in his thing. Obviously, being with BB King made him famous, but took him to the stratospheric level was doing the Royal Albert Hall and then saying, hey, I'm doing this because I saw you do it. And you know what he's fu- what's funny is he jokes about it. He says, yeah, they never asked me back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't think much of the Royal Albert Hall performance, but I understand why. And I understand why it's significant. Um, yeah. Because I, yeah. I watched that several times now. But anyway. Yep, All right. I've been David. I'm a gym. And tonight we've been Practical Guitarists. Cue the music. Enjoy yourselves.